This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Friday to you and happy St. Patty's Day. I hope you're all sporting your green. Of course you're not. Hmm. Apparently there will be pinches. And then there will be punches. <laughs> Jeffrey, I need you to pinch Terry for me uh, as just a, a happy St. Patty's Day wish. Holy cow. Um, it's finally here, and it's Friday. Friday and St. Patty's Day and yeah, a little so, NCAA tournament. So it's stay home tonight and watch some basketball. Totally. Don't get on the roads. Or you could watch The Leprechaun. Why would we do that? What's The Leprechaun? It's a horror movie. Warwick Davis. Yeah. Willow mm. starred in about six of those films. Yeah, that so sounds scary. We have this like cute sort of social idea of what a leprechaun is. Uh huh. Just cute. This, this movie's not that little cute, cuddly little. Well, aren't mischievous? mischievous Lep- you know, it's kind of the guy that kills you. Aren't leprechauns magically delicious? Just that one. So he goes to Vegas. Yeah. Then he goes to space. Mm. Then he goes to the hood, and then in an unprecedented move. He goes back to the hood. Wow. Mm. This is one adventurous leprechaun. He went to space? And the hood twice. <laughs> Why are you more impressed that he went to the hood than the space? Come on. They, I mean, they went back twice. There's some importance there. Maybe they didn't finish the story. They found more story. In the hood than you think on You think Mars? you could find more more story in space, but yeah. they went, you know, I mean. Well, NASA just doesn't have the funding anymore. No, nah, they, yeah, they got true. cut. <laughs> I wonder if it's harder to be in space if you're a leprechaun. I mean, you know. There's no, is there rainbows? Do you find, how, how do you find pot, your pot of gold? Yeah. There's no one to trade your gold with. Can you just eat any cereal up there? Mm. Magically delicious. That's my favorite that's my favorite line. Now, what do I say? Top of the morning to you. Yeah, you just sound See, like Irish. lucky. You Top sound of the like morning lucky. To you. Um, got a great show today. Boy, this, our first guest is, uh, brings up a really interesting point in an article he wrote that if you don't like President Trump, mm. you may have created him. Yeah. Because he's a leadership expert uh, from, I think, Columbia University. And he his point is, our leaders get there some way, and it, uh, so everyone then fights against Trump. But the more you fight against Trump, the more you embolden Trump followers. And so, if you wanted to actually lead somebody to not win a second term, you probably wouldn't act the way you are, because you're only strengthening his followers yeah. and even the people on the fence. Because you're confirming what they believe, right? So, a leadership principle would be. Instead of fighting all these people that you don't understand, shut your flapper and go understand them. The more uh, the but, more the non-Trumpers understand the Trumpers, yeah. the more you could understand how to fight them. And vice versa, by the way. Some would say Obama was created because of the right-wing Bush conspiracies. Hmm? So we keep leading— or- Eight years of a Republican, eight right. years of a Democrat, and then, then we're back to the Republican. Well, and There's then the cycle. zealousness of the one side, and then it switches in the zealousness of the other side, and then yeah. bada boom, bada bing. So it's a really interesting leadership idea that if you want to lead people, quit just being mad at them and start understanding 
why they think the way they think. But does that make it for good TV? No. See? So I don't know if that'll work. Just makes for a good republic. Ah, what's the country? TV's important. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look how far we've fallen. So we'll get to that fun topic coming up. Um, also, of course, a lot of headlines. I'm sure we'll even have um, Jeff breaking into a little Irish song or dance. I know he's been practicing a little Irish dance. Yes. Wow, look, I knew it would come out. He's got a little jig right there. <laughs> Don't look at you that. love how he points his toes yeah, when he does this? It's great. He's got great toe pointage. He's got that Irish river dance tap thing uh-huh. down, too. And you, he's got a good leap, you know? Mm, he's Wow. He's spry. Spry little Jeffrey. <laughs> That's really nice, Jeff. That was really good. Buddy. Thank you. That was great. Thanks. You're winded. Whew. A little more cardio. That was nice. Yeah. Kind of help with that. I've never seen you in stretch pants. Or well, wanted to. you gotta you gotta bring them out on the right occasions. Well, you did, and they're green, so you are wearing your green. Dress for the job you want. <laughs> you want to be an Irish dancer. That's a great, great. We'll get to all that fun, but uh, first to the headlines, my friends. What's going on, Terry, around the rest of the country? The Republican and Democrat leaders of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence released a statement Thursday afternoon stating that they have not seen any evidence that President Trump or his residents were the subject of surveillance last year, despite allegations the president made two weeks ago. So now we have the House Intelligence Committee and the Senate Intelligence Committee saying we got nothing. So what do they know? Yeah, what do they know? So Check with on. the Brits. The Brits have something. White, well, no. The White House actually apologized to the Brits this morning, saying, sorry that we implicated you in this really stupid thing. We, it wasn't died. you. It was the Iranians. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer spent nine minutes of Thursday's press briefing rehashing reports. He's yeah, in the New York Times. He read through everything. Know, just kept going and By the going. way, citing all the sources that they said are uncre- not credible, right? Yeah. Well, no. They said they were... Uh, um, unnamed sources. Was he filibustering his own uh, press yeah, conference? Yes, he was. But then he's open to go as long as it takes. They, uh, yeah, they, 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 most of the stories cited unnamed sources, and now the White House is citing as reasons that they don't. They say you should use unnamed sources. So, so he spent nine minutes of Thursday's press briefing rehashing reports about Trump administration ties to Russia. Spicer asked about the Senate. He was asked about the Senate Intelligence Committee leaders' joint statement. Uh, with no indications, he said the president stands by his claim. I was watching some of that. I was trying to get some sound, and I just went, I, I don't care anymore. Well, whatever. <sighs> German Chancellor Angela Merkel meets with President Trump at the White House today. It'll be a big clash of policy, temperament, and government styles. Yeah! Expectations from the meeting are not high. The main topics of discussion are expected to be trade and the economy. Trump will urge Germany to send, spend more money on its national defense to meet NATO obligations and ask about uh, Merkel's long experience dealing with Russian President Vladimir Putin. White House officials say Merkel will gauge Trump's openness on multilateral issues like climate change, financial regulation, and that's according to German officials and gently press Trump to reconsider his proposal to tax U.S. imports. All things I don't think are going to... Uh, end up where she wants them. It's always good to go in with low expectations. On both sides, apparently. (laughs) That's true. Frustrated Freedom Caucus members are not turning to the House Republican leadership with their concerns about the GOP's proposed health care replacement plan. 
Instead, they're gambling on Steve Bannon's influence over the president, going straight to sympathizers in the West Wing. So instead of talking to the GOP leadership who wrote the bill, they're just skipping them and going to the White House. Freedom Caucus members would rather start with the repeal of Obamacare and formulate a replacement later. Hmm. Members are also upset that House Speaker Ryan, his reliance on health care tax credits and having uh, slammed it as Obamacare light. But while Ryan's allies argue or argue that he is working to incorporate as much conservative input as possible. Do you know what? Maybe we'll add, let's ask our guest about that as well, because it seems like they're not leading that issue very well. No. The more you try to close or shut down repeal the less likely you are going to get any support from the Democrats and, in fact, any full support from the Republicans. So, But they have the majority. It doesn't matter. Yeah, until the majority breaks apart into pieces. Well, unless you need 60 votes then in the Senate, then you just change yeah. the rules. That's right. what I've done before. <laughs> Here we so, go. Uh, and finally, March Madness might have already begun. We had 16 oh, games has. yesterday, yeah. 16 games well, today. Well, we just saw that dance from Jeff. And pretty mad. Pretty mad over there. But workers at the Defense Department watching games will have to wait till after work. The IT service for the Pentagon cautioned employees that it's, quote, important to remember that we share a single network and visiting non-mission essential websites degrade network performance for everyone. Hmm? So if you go and try to watch live basketball during the day, oh, yeah, it yeah. takes away the functionality of the computer network at the Pentagon and the Defense <laughs> Department. You'll buildings. bring down our defense system. Uh, it's funny that CBS News is reporting on this since it's on CBS. Yeah. The games, so it's kind of funny. Thanks, CBS. The email to employees added, please keep in mind, if you're streaming video to watch your favorite player shooting free throws, you're consuming network resources that could be served to support the warfighter. Yeah. Great point. For the good of America, don't watch the tournament at work. Hmm. I don't, that's not going to help. For the rest of us, uh, go ahead. Who cares? Go ahead and watch it. Feel free to watch it. It's it's on in our break room. That's why they gave us really big screens at our desks uh-huh. so we can have this nice picture to watch basketball. I've, I've noticed I've taken a lot of breaks lately. Really? Mm-hmm. Just walk into the break room. And, yeah. 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 It's um, – isn't that funny? Who would th- have thunk that what brought down our military was little NCAA? Or at least the IT department thinks so. Yeah. I, I can't get those green Again, pants out of my head. That would be a leak. A leaked email from uh, the Defense Department to CBS News. Another leak. Yeah. Speaking of leaks. Um, oh This never goes well. Oh, uh, go on. Uh, sorry. Uh, there's nothing. I just can't get Jeff's pants. I just those flashing green legs of his, hmm? tiny little pencil legs. You'd have thunk that they, they would have been like, you know, meteor. But yeah. No, they're they're just tiny little pencil legs. I mean that in the best way possible, Jeff. Right. Hmm. <laughs> it felt that way. I do. I don't mean it. I mean, but I just. Can you do another jig for us? Just just a quick one. Well, it's just more of the same. I just, I, don't just want a little to... bit of this and There you go. Mm. Then I can pull it out with this move. Oh gosh. Ooh, a spin move. Nice. Wow. wow. And I'll land one of these. Oh. That had to hurt. <laughs> I bet you've never seen that one before. The splits. Ow. Flexible. This guy's got game. Where did you learn this? Uh, they they teach you at BYU actually. Why? You elective. know, it's an elective. 
that was that was like the last class that I needed to graduate. I just needed like half you, of a credit. I thought you did this and the bells class where you play the those bells. It's a cultural sensitivity class. Well, he seems quite insensitive. <laughs> Anywho, um, so what do you do on St. Patty's Day? I mean, do you guys have a way that you celebrate as a family St. Patty's Day? Do you do you get your kids dressed in green? Do you get pinched? No. Really? Well, my boy wore something green. Actually, he cried last night because his shirt wasn't completely green. He had like a Dr. Seuss shirt and it had like one yeah. – like these panels of green eggs and ham and no, stuff. No, yeah, yeah. He needs, so there was green he, elements. He needs more green. He needs to – But he was going nuts because his shirt wasn't entirely green. He goes, I'm going to get pinched. Oh, was that ever a source of stress for you in elementary school? Yes. If you didn't wear a green shirt on St. Patrick's yeah. Day? Yeah, I did. I, 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 I remember dodging the pincher. And I kept telling him, you don't know if I'm wearing green under my clothes. You don't know that. Yeah. So if you pinch me and I show you green, then I get to pinch you, what, like 100 times? Has anyone ever worn green underwear? That would admit it? I had Green Lantern underoos when I was a kid, so yeah. But even those were pink. No, they were green. I remember we had a, like an assembly. I pink don't know would what you be call Star it. Sapphire. That's a different lantern. Sorry. We had a program, and I was supposed to wear short pants, like went to my knees. Hmm. I remember this vividly, and we—I didn't have short pants that went to my knees. Knickers? Is that what they call them? I don't know. The knickers are—it's your story. Underwear, I think. Um, <laughs> So I was supposed to wear these short pants that go to my knees. I didn't have any. So my mom rolled up my pants and then – but it just didn't look right. And I remember going to school thinking, this doesn't look right. Yeah. I mean I was 18 and I thought – This, <laughs> this is, is going to be socially awkward. It's weird. When I was in – it was either fifth or sixth grade, I bought these shoes. Well, I didn't buy them. My parents did. Who am I kidding? Uh, I got these shoes. You were handed these hush puppy <laughs> shoes. So they – had Velcro on them, okay? <laughs> and I just thought they looked cool. Yeah, yeah. And so I remember the first day I wore them to school, and immediately kids were ridiculing me, saying that I didn't know how to tie my shoes. Yeah. And so but it you, was... You did, right? I was experiencing buyer's remorse mm-hmm. at a very early age. Well, discrimination. You were being yeah. discriminated against. And now the funny thing is... Nobody really ties their shoes anymore anyway. They just get the slip-on shoes. Oh, I know. I mean, maybe not Velcro, but they don't tie their shoes anymore. Or I if they it. have laces on them, they pre-tie them and slip them on. Yeah. I, so the joke's on them. <laughs> <laughs> and what, wow. what I still love about you, though, Jeff, even though that happened, you still wear those Velcro shoes or Velcro lacing shoes. That's great. They're comfortable. I mean, a lot of, a lot of guys your age can't pull that off. And yours light up. They're so comfortable. They've even got little wheels on the back, too. The Heelys. Those mm-hmm. are crazy. Huh. Well, proud of you. So I guess I'm the only one celebrating today. I mean, I'm the only one wearing green. I mean, no one's wearing green. But what if you're like the – you're made up of Irish I'm heritage. Irish. I got Irish heritage just oozing me through me. Well, do you need to wear green if yeah. like you're, you're, you're – the essence of what you're made of is Irish? Well, yeah. Then do you bleed green? No, it's all red. Okay, then read the rules. You have to wear green? I have some Irish in me. My middle name is even Liam, even though you always say it's Lamar for some reason. I I can never remember Liam. 
But I, I'll remember it from now on. It's a great Irish name. And now it makes sense because you got those pencil legs kicking. You look like two little chopsticks. <laughs> two little chopsticks working an egg roll. Good stuff. Chopsticks are hard. Yeah, they are. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, we're going to be talking about leadership and how, believe it or not, you can lead positively, you can lead negatively. If you don't like the state of the country, it may be because you're leading that state. Huh. A little uh, tongue twister for you. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, have you ever wanted to be the person that others follow or help others make better decisions? Sounds like leadership to me. Joining us is the best-selling author of Leadership Step-by-Step. He's here today to talk to us about um, and help us understand how we can improve our leadership and how our leadership actually impacts uh, the lives of us and others. It's, it's It's a crazy thing. We complain a lot about politics and supposedly politics has a lot of leaders in it. But um, you as a follower of these um, political candidates as well, you too can be a leader. Joshua Spodak, thank you so much for being with us today. Glad to be here. Hey, love uh, love your writing and your articles. Really was excited to have you on, especially to help us kind of uh, cut through some of the leadership junk i think that we're we're all experiencing i read an article that you wrote if you don't want to make it eight years for trump um then it's probably time to start becoming a leader talk about how you see leadership impacting our political world first I say, I'm, I'm kind of smiling because when you said politics supposedly has a bunch of leaders in it and i was like yeah it's uh we, we teach people to be experts in so many other fields and and our leadership training is not so great right uh and yeah, I you know, a few months ago I was teaching leadership at NYU, in, so this is in Lower Manhattan, and it was just after the election, and I asked everyone in the class who they voted for, and as happens in Manhattan, everyone had voted for Clinton, and I said, you know, if you forget about who you voted for and why you voted for them and the content of what they said, who was the more authentic leader? If you just look at how they behaved, and all of them, despite having voted for Clinton, said Trump. Huh. And I think that a lot of people, you know, we lack, we, we, we want authenticity and genuineness in our leaders. Yeah, you know, not just for presidency, but our bosses, our, everyone who leads us, and, and, and also in our relationships. And I think we lack it. I think we've, we, we're not really, I think we've looked at that as something for a long time that either you have it or you don't. A lot of different properties of being a leader. You're born, you're authentic, or you're not. But I found that there are a lot of other fields where authenticity comes with practice and rehearsal and we love it. You know, if you look at actors and musicians and we teach them very effectively. And, you know, a lot of what I've done is, is bring what works in other fields to leadership. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's a big lack. It's, and it, and it seems like we, th- then everybody um, that was pulling for Clinton is now disgusted and so upset with Trump, but in doing so, it seems like they're just driving, you know, fence sitters in a way to Trump. And one of the points you bring up is, and you did it as an exercise, that maybe instead of just fighting against what you don't like, maybe it's time to go understand why people went to Trump really 
and um, and why many years ago the people the the moderates went to Obama. And we got to figure out what moves the middle, not necessarily, and what and and lead it instead of just always fighting against it. Yeah, there's a very common question you hear people say, and it happened with the election, but it happens in lots of places, especially people with their bosses. They say, why would so-and-so do that? Why would they do such a thing? And they ask it rhetorically with the implied message being because they're crazy or because, you know, it's something I couldn't possibly understand. But when you think the other person is unpredictable and crazy, you've completely lost your ability to influence that person. Mm. And on the contrary, if instead you actually go to answer that question, what happens is, well, one, you find out more about the other person, and you increase your ability to influence them if that's what you want to do. And more personally, something that you lose the ability to do when you have that perspective is you gain empathy, you gain compassion, you gain understanding. And these are skills that are very useful. I've never heard a leader say, less empathy helps. Right. Self-awareness helps. And, you know, learning about others helps you learn about yourself. It's so true. It's so true. Is it... Do you, do you think uh, they always talk about, you know, he was born a leader. He's a born leader. Are people born leaders? Because it really it, it, it's really more about skills, isn't it? I Yes, I completely believe it's it's the big question for me. If people are born leaders or not is more of an academic question. It doesn't really help me in my life. But what's much more important to know is that anyone can improve as a leader. No matter where you are, you can improve. And also different people can lead in different areas. So if you're not the great leader in one area, that doesn't mean you can't lead in another area. The, the big example for me is always Oprah Winfrey is a tremendous leader. She's really great. I mean, I don't think anyone would deny that. Right. George Patton was a great leader. I don't think anyone would deny that either. But I don't know how great a tank commander Oprah Winfrey would make. Right. <laughs> and I don't know how great a talk show host George Patton would make. True. I, mean, I think it would be an interesting show. Yeah. Just because you don't succeed in one area doesn't mean that you can't succeed in another. And you never know when something in your life may require leadership skills. So it's very useful to have them. And and I guess the the way you know you're a leader is how. How how is it that I know I'm a leader? It doesn't mean I have to be famous or even popular, does it? it how do I know I'm a leader? The biggest measure I have for someone being a leader is what community forms around them. I mean, if you have, if you need people follow, and that means gonna, there are going to be people around you. So you can look at how many people someone has as a follower. I'm sorry, how many followers someone has. Also, the loyalty and dedication that they have, and how passionate they are for the cause. And on a personal level, so that's if you're looking at somebody else, or if you're looking at yourself. Another is how do you feel? If you feel like you're lost, you don't know what you're doing. You're probably not an effective leader. But if you feel confident, if you're calm under pressure, those are, those are signs of being a leader. Yeah, if you can. And I guess if, if in the problems of life, if they're turning to you, that's telling you something. Yeah, we want leaders to help us in the times when we're most in need and we don't know what to do otherwise, which is why authenticity and genuineness are so important. The opposite of authenticity is you have a hidden agenda. You have something, you, know, you can tell when someone's got something going on that they're not talking about. And if you depend on someone to guide you in times of stress, in times of need, in times when you, you don't know what to do, if you're afraid that that person has a hidden agenda, that's when it's going to come out. And that's when you're most afraid of putting your trust in someone, you know, when they have a hidden agenda and, you know, you know what's going to happen when the chips are down. You want to know someone. You want to know what they're going to do when the chips are down 
That's why a lot of times people go to me. I might disagree with that person somewhat, but at least I know when times get tough, I know what they're going to do. Right. And is it um... – because I, I spent about eight years, seven and a half, eight years with uh, Stephen Covey working with him. And it, again, he, he would sit in a room and I remember him not speaking a lot in certain meetings, but just listening and watching and listening and even calling you out. If like if I rolled my eyes at something that was said, he would ask me to follow up. Matt, tell me you seem to have a different view on that. So I guess one of the keys to leadership is they're they're attuned they're tuned into their people. What what um, if you had to kind of rank some of the top ones? You said authenticity, empathy. Uh, well, what are some other essential skills that make leaders leaders? Well, there's things like uh, self awareness. I mean, um, you know, I break my book up into four parts: understanding yourself, leading yourself, understanding others, and lead others. And I think they're all. Each of those areas is equally important, and different sets of skills in each. So I started talking about where I begin in the book is uh, in leading yourself, is, or understanding yourself as self-awareness, knowing your perception, knowing what your beliefs are, what your values are. In leading yourself, it's the ability to change your beliefs, it's the ability to take on habits and habitualize things that are useful for you, to take advice from others, to listen. And understanding others is to recognize that others are like you, that they have a, an emotional system that motivates them. They're not purely rational creatures. They're not purely emotional creatures either. And yeah. leading others is the ability to listen, to be able to make other people feel comfortable sharing what they care about so that you can work with their emotions and their motivations, not just lead with authority, and then to be able to support them in the long run. And, you know, I grew up, Men, we, you know, men are supposed to be the macho or they were sensitive new age guys. And I, neither of them really fit for me. This, to me, it's much more practical talking about emotions and, and motivations and things. It's, you know, I hope this doesn't sound like it's new agey or something like that, because I don't think it is. I think Patton, you know, old blood and guts was actually very empathetic. If you look at some of his speeches and, and see the understanding he had for his troops, he really cared about them. And so these are, these are some of the top-level things. Do you think... Oh, it, I, I oh go ahead. No, go one ahead. One more thing is the ability to learn and keep growing and not be static. Once you think you're the born with it or not, you're stuck. It's very difficult to improve. So that ability, you know, the, the best leaders, I think on the deathbeds, they're still like, oh, I got another thing to learn. Mm-hmm. Always learning. When, even when we look at our, our presidents, uh, all politics aside... Um, President Obama and President Trump seem like they couldn't be different, more different um, from each other, but yet they're both leaders. And it's almost like they just they, – they kind of magnify the opposites of the spectrum. Um, is So if you were going to go, for example, and talk to President Trump, if he called you in to consult him on his leadership, what even like to get the health care through or whatever, what would you what would you be advising him that he ought to improve on? And maybe what well, would it, you know? What would you be advising an Obama, President Obama, that he could have improved upon? Because I guess we can always improve, even if you're in the highest seat in the world. Yeah, I have to say that I have to talk about the context at first. As a teacher and a coach of leadership, one thing I've learned is that if you give people advice that they haven't asked for, <laughs> you get, you're going to get backlash. And you're going to push back. Yeah. So he would have to ask me first. I, I, I'm one degree of separation from him, so I. I have, I mean, I know someone who's like full in the chat with him. He's known him for years. And I tell him, you know, if next time we hang out with Trump, point out that if you want a science advisor with a PhD in physics, 
you know, who's done some startups, who's, who's uh, taught leadership, it might be useful. Cause, you know, and he's like, hey, you're talking about yourself. And I was like, yeah. yeah. So if you wanted someone, if you wanted advice, I'd give it to him, but I, I won't give someone advice. I, you know, I might try to solicit him to ask for advice. Mm-hmm. I try to motivate him for that. And, you know, there I try, personally, because of my background, I try to go in the direction of climate change. I think that it's something that uh, we, I don't think it's a hoax, and I don't think it's it's a big, uh, I think it's pretty easy to point out the business benefits. Yeah, and know, the life benefits, yeah. Of, yeah, I think that I think that we could uh, make some great steps forward. I, I think we're going to be following a lot of the rest of the world in terms of solar, in terms of renewables and things like that, and I'd love to see us in the forefront. I mean, we'd be great in the forefront of reducing carbon output and things like that. And I think it'd be great for business. I think it'd be great for employment. But it's, you have to ask me about it. Yeah. It's because it's, I guess that's, that's one of the keys is if people aren't ready to hear it, um, it doesn't matter how accurate you are or even academically valid and, um, you know, corroborated your information is, it doesn't matter. And I guess that's one of the keys to why you're saying emotions are such a major part of leadership because emotions are what move people. Yeah. Anyone who's listening to us right now, they care about their, they care about what they do. I, you know, I doubt people are listening to you thinking like, I don't care about life. I'm just going to flip burgers until I die and nobody right. will. I don't care about anything. Yeah. If you care about what you do, it means you work hard to get there. It means you have to go through multiple rounds of interviews, you have to work weekends, things like that. And that means the people are needed too. And that means something motivated you and you're in a community of people who are motivated by something. And if you only rule or if you if you go by authority, you're missing out on what's motivating people and that's gonna they're gonna feel devalued. The flip side is if you can connect with that emotion that's been motivating them all along, that was there before you ever met them. And you can connect that to what you want done, the task at hand, if you're the leader, or even if you're not the leader. I mean, you can motivate your boss this way, too. Right. Then they, they will want to do it for their own reason, the reason that they're first, and they will thank you for it. I mean, that's what happens when people follow, when people do my exercises. They start, they start living in a world of motivations and emotions instead of just behavior. And when you can connect with people's motivations, it really, they do it for their reasons, and they feel, more commonly, they feel liberated. They feel unleashed to do what they always wanted to do. So if I really wanted to motivate Trump or any president or anyone, any, I, I wouldn't use authority. I would listen to them. I'd behave and communicate in ways to make them feel comfortable sharing what their motivations were, and then I would know how to lead them. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Leadership 101. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Joshua Spodek, and you can go to his website, spodekacademy.com, spodekacademy.com. He's the author of the book Leadership, Step-by-Step, Becoming the Person Others Follow. We'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion on uh, on Leadership 101, really, uh, the basics, folks, how to, how to get people to want to follow you and be that type of leader. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Well, 
Welcome back, friends. We're talking with Joshua Spodek, uh, who is the author of the book Leadership, Step-by-Step, Becoming the Person Others Follow. You can go to his website, spodekacademy.com, to find out more about that. Uh, Joshua is an adjunct professor at New York University, leadership coach and workshop leader for Columbia Business School, as well as a a columnist for Inc. Magazine. Joshua, thanks again for being with us. My pleasure. So one of the points you you uh, brought up in another article about um, Kobe Bryant, um, how to break rules and succeed like Kobe Bryant, is you – every choice we make as a leader is, is potentially um, – it's going to garner you favor with others. It's going to harm you with others. But in the end, um, Kobe Bryant, he was a rule breaker. He's a rule breaker. And, you know, you make some really interesting points about how a lot of us live by rules without ever even really questioning or even looking at the rules. Yeah, that's really a statement about values and knowing your own values. I believe that people who seem to be rule breakers who are successful actually follow their own rules more closely than most people. So he would break rules that were uh, society's rules. I believe that if you if you watch the interviews of him, like his, the way he stuck with dedication to his practice and, and how he played was actually very his rules. And so I think if you know your rules very well, then you tend to live by them more. And what that, what that means is you have to know your values. You have to be able to live with discipline and dedication and diligence that if you, if you don't know those things, you're more blowing the breeze. Yeah. It's not, you're not breaking rules knowingly. You're just like a, like a bull in a china shop. And I don't think he was a bull in a china shop. He had his value system, and he was leading it, even though many others didn't like his value system. But I guess that's, that's too, I think, a point of leadership, isn't it, is knowing your value system. Because there's times your values may not jive with the rest of society. But yeah, if you were, The reason I wrote my book is that there's so many books out there Basically, every book, every other book I came across, it would say, you know, here are the value, you know, here are the important things for leadership. Is you should have dedication and diligence, and you should be uh, open, and you should listen, and all these things. It's like, of course, yeah, everyone agrees you should have all these things. The question is really, how do you actually do it? What happens when one value goes up against another? That's the challenging part. Mm. You know, you want to be, uh, you want to return an investment to the shareholders, and the customers are demanding refunds. And so you want to have great customer service and you want to make as much money as you can for the shareholders. And how do you decide which one of these things you do? If, if all you have is someone saying, do what you think is right, you can do it. That didn't help you in, in the difficult, stressful times. And that's when leaders are the most important. And so that's why for me, the big thing is you have to learn to experience. You have to face these social and emotional challenges that only, not only, but leaders face. What do you do? I know your book talks about um, what happens if, because if we learn through experience and we need experience to grow, what happens if we're not getting experiences? We're just not in the space to get the experiences. Yeah, it's pretty tough when you're in a situation, you're in some big negotiation or you're trying to hire someone and, and you're trying to figure out how to make it happen. And you're trying to think back to a book that you read that had some theory that talked about some psychology experiment and you try to connect that to your life, that it doesn't work that well. That's like trying to play music and trying to think of what's the next note based on musical theory. 
What's much more effective is practice and rehearsal. And you fall back on what you're good at and you play like you practice. And if you don't practice, you're not going to be very effective playing, whether it's whether you're playing sport or you're playing music or you're being a leader. You, we, what we rehearse and what we practice, that's what we do when we actually do the real thing. Which I guess is, so we, we've got to be practicing, rehearsing. We've got to be finding some opportunity to do these things that we want to get good at um, or it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I, I mean, in the field, in lots of other fields, we know what to do. Like in music, you play scales or you play chords if it's guitar. And if you're dancing, you learn footwork. If you're playing tennis, you learn groundwork and uh, ground strokes. And only in leadership do we, of the fields that are, that are these fields that are active and social and emotional and expressive and performance-based, leadership is one of them. And all the others you learn through, you start with the basics once you master the basics, you move up to intermediate skills, and once you move up from there, you get to master the whole field. And in the process, you get this genuineness and authenticity. And in leadership, we instead say, sit in this room in this chair, and we're going to lecture some theory at you and watch these TED Talks and read these psychology papers. But that's like teaching basketball by giving someone a rule book. It's, you know, it's not worthless, but that's not how the great players play or learned. Right. When you... It's, it really is. It's just, it's, it's about, it's just as much a skill as any sport. It's just as much a skill as any art is leadership. Um, a lot of times we think it's our position and I can, or it's even our supposed or alleged moral high ground. And we argue, well, my position's right. I mean, it's just right. You can't, you can't do it any other way. Instead of arguing right or wrong, how would you suggest we go about um, trying to influence a person's point of view that just we don't even like? Yeah, the big thing, if you aren't open yourself to influence, they're going to feel like, well, why should I change if you're not going to change? Or why should I even be open to it if you're not even open to it? I think the big thing is you have to go to where they are. You have to make them feel understood. And that's not the same. It's very different than you feeling you understand them because that's you. That's how you feel. But they're motivated by how they feel. So it's to listen to them in a way that they will say to you, yes, that's it. That's how I feel. And when you're there, when you're in their space, then, and they feel understood, that they feel that you've put their interests before theirs, then they're open to influence. Until then, you can manage, you can, you can manage them with, with authority and say, if you do this, I'll pay you. And if you don't, I'll fire you. But that's not, I, I wouldn't, I distinguish that management from leadership. They're both important. I mean, right. People have to pay their rent, so you've got to pay them. So that is a tool that you're going to have as a manager. But as a leader, you know, you, I, can, I can call you a salesman and say I'll give you a bonus if you sell something, but that's not going to get you to really sell. But if I find out what you really care about and I show you how selling this product will help you achieve the goals that are most important to you in your life, you're going to want to sell for your reasons, not for my reasons. And the bonus will be something that, you know, I'll, I'll put it in there because it's, it'll help motivate you. Hmm. But you're already motivated for your personal reasons. Right. It's, um, it's, it's really interesting how much of this seems like it's, it's so much about emotional and social kind of intelligence. What um, – are we teaching – are we setting up our kids well enough, strong enough to, um, to be good leaders? Do we educate? Is our system of educating leadership focused enough? I'm motivated by 
schools that I've seen, that are in the, a small minority of schools, where this stuff does happen. I didn't create my techniques out of nowhere. So I've seen very effective teachers and very effective schools teach this stuff, but it's really the minority. It's, it's not something that you, as far as I know, it doesn't show up on standardized tests, and we have a lot of teaching to the test, and so it doesn't really show up. If you look at our educational system, intellectually, we challenge students a lot. We teach them a lot of history and dates and math and things like that. Even if we, do, even if we could do better, we're, we're skilled at that. But if you look at the behavior and the emotional skills that we teach, the social skills that we teach, the dominant, what I see more than anything else is we're teaching compliance. Hmm. Sit in this chair, do what I tell you to do, respond how I tell you to respond. And compliance is the opposite of leadership. So people don't really develop that. There are a few areas. And it, it's weird that it's somehow it's stuff it's, that's ended up in, in the extracurricular stuff, in sports and art, not art appreciation, not art history, but the practice of art, where you have to put your stuff, you know, you have to say, this is what I consider beautiful, and you put it out there for people to see, and sometimes people don't like it, but that's how you overcome these challenges. In sports, where you play and, you know, two people compete, one's going to win, one's going to lose, and, but that doesn't mean you give up and, and never do anything again. So a lot of, you can learn a lot of these skills in schools, but it tends to be defunded stuff, stuff that's not, that we don't value as much as a society. But if we look at great leaders, so many great leaders have come from the arts and from sports and things like that. And, I mean, if you look at, like, Ronald Reagan or Sean Combs or Oprah Winfrey, they, they came from performance, and they're very effective, and, and they learn the skills Almost, sometimes almost despite school, because a lot of them left school right. to become what they became. And it's almost, yeah, they, so almost, I, they learned it kind of their way. They learned it through their channel, I guess, which is just testament that, every, that leadership is in everything. Yeah, it can be. I mean, a lot of people left school because they found, you know, Richard Branson or Bill Gates or Zuckerberg or Elon Musk or Michael Bell. They, they looked at what was ahead of them if they went out and just lived life and led as best they could and would learn in the process versus school. And they chose to go off and do it on their own because they saw that school wasn't going to offer what they needed. Now, I don't think that that's a problem with school necessarily. I think we can teach that stuff. As I said, I've seen it and that's what motivates me. That's why if I sound inspired, it's because I've seen that it can work and I'm trying to make that happen. So that's why I'm, I am, I'm teaching on my own at Spodic Academy, but I'm also teaching at universities because I can see that you can do it in universities. We just haven't. Yeah. Hey, as we wrap up, Joshua, what would you say is the one thing, um, if, there, if we want to jump in and, and recommit other than getting the book, what's, what's the one thing that we could do today that would make the biggest impact on our, our ability to lead and to have followers? I think there's a, a, a mental model that I don't see very often, which is that if you see someone with a skill that you don't have, take for granted that they weren't born with it. They developed it somehow. And they developed it through some experience. And if you can find out, maybe just by asking them, but if you find out what experiences they went through to develop those skills, then recreate those experiences for yourself, and you'll develop those skills. Hmm. Good stuff. Joshua Spodek, thank you so much for your time uh, and your uh, just all this information. There's so much we've got to learn, I think, all of us about leadership. And uh, remember, even as a follower of people, uh, or other leaders, you can complain, but your complaining is still your form of leading. Um, negative leadership, positive leadership, it comes from all of us. The book, Leadership Step-by-Step, Step, Becoming the Person Others Follow, 
You can find it at bookstores all around the country. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about, no, we're not teaching leadership skills. Instead, we're going to the baby spa treatment. Babies going to the spa. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. What will they do next? Welcome back, friends. That is going to spa music. As we, uh, as I have two gentlemen that I share a studio with, who both have one baby here, one baby on the way. I wanted to give you guys some advice because specifically targeted to you. Um, I mean, sure, we could teach our kids emotional intelligence and leadership. But first, and more importantly, why don't we just take those brand new babies to the spa? Right. Of course. They need a nice, what, seaweed wrap or hot rock treatment. Now you can pamper your newborn at a spa made just for babies. Actually, I think it's a milk treatment of some kind. Yeah. (laughs) That's (laughs) that's probably true. Um, But to me, they already seem to have a great life. But apparently in Perth, Australia, there is a baby spa. And uh, the typical session lasts about an hour and includes anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes of casual floating in a warm bath. Mm. And it's crazy what they do. They, It's kind of a deep square tub. And they put a um, – Can they, you show me that picture again? Yeah. They put a – it is the weirdest thing. In fact, we ought to post it if we can. <laughs> they put a like a ring around the baby's neck um, that's styrofoam, I guess, and it floats. Uh. That baby looks so happy. Oh, yeah. and just floating. So they let them float in this nice bath. It probably stretches their spine out and elongates their – I don't know what it does. Yeah. But this kid's really happy. In fact, he's even winking at us. Um, so you get a float for about a half hour, which honestly sounds like a cop-out because that means you only have a half hour left that you got to rub stuff on them. Um, babies wear a special flotation device that safely supports the head above the water, and uh, it makes them just look so adorable. Also, as part of it, the treatments um, are, aren't just supremely calming. It turns out they're a borderline medicinal at the baby spa, according to their website. Uh, the young wa- the babies in uh, the water um, helps them to uh, basically build their strength because they'll kind of exercise and fight, do little baby exercises, you know, a little water aerobic kind of activity. Um, also, other than floating, they do some other things um, with the babies, a little massage treatment. They also uh, do some spa treatments for mom and dad while they're there. Hmm. It's kind of a nice little benefit. Throw that in there. You could get your nails done. My wife cannot wait to paint my daughter's nails. Really? I don't know what it is, but she thinks it's going to be the funnest thing. She's always bugging me, like, we need to go to a couple spa. I'm like, no, 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 just take your daughter. She'll get old enough. That looks funny. <laughs> so is this just the next big fad? Is there going to yeah. be research in a year that says that none of these practices are healthy or well, safe? You could just give your kid a bath. Yeah, it seems like you know, the kids are already floating in there. Yeah. Hey, they've already been soaking for nine months. I'm not sure that you need to put them See, my, back in my water. Da- my daughter loves taking a bath. Well, who does it? She gets in. She's just comfortable. You start splashing. It's great. By the way, um, if if you just if you want to just do baby massage, it's about sixty four dollars for a sixty minute session. But um, I think they get, do the dip the deep tissue and yeah, drive elbows yeah, into your yeah, child. Yeah, and... there's not enough 
body on a baby to do an hour-long massage. No, yeah. they do it. If you do it as a group, it's sixty-four dollars. If you want a private session, you know, if, if you just want your baby to be alone with the masseuse, two hundred and fifty bucks. Man. Why would you want your baby to yeah. be alone with a masseuse? Well, I mean, you could be there too, but it's like, the, uh, yeah, uh, uh, when they're pounding on the back of the baby, it's it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> so you know, if you got two hundred and fifty dollar, you can go throw it at a baby spa. I'm just thinking. I, I would. I was on. I was going you, to get it. You could for you put guys. it into an educational account for your child. Yeah, I know. Thought, but wouldn't you rather that they have an hour of soaking? Not really. Not really. Fun stuff, folks. We'll take a break. We'll be back helping you be the good in the world. Start with a baby spa. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Happy St. Patty's Day. It's happening, folks. Hope you're wearing your green. We know Jeff is. He's doing a little jig for us here. Wearing his green exercise yoga pants. Just kicking those sweet little uh, toothpick, not toothpicks, chopstick legs. That's got a little high kick there. Wow. Thank you again. Yeah. I I wish radio were I wish it were a, a, a visual medium because then everyone could see you working it. Did well, you, did you know he could kick that high? I do now. It's amazing. Yeah. Do you think you could kick your foot all the way up above your head? No. It's amazing. He's a limber fella. It'll come in useful down the road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we we have got to start live streaming the show. That right there would have boosted ratings by easily a percent. That's it. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it could could have been worse, right? Could we could drop in ratings? So much to talk about. Um, lots of empty news today. We'll be covering and uh, empty news meaning Matt Townsend show news and. You know, people a lot of a lot of people think St. Patty's Day. You know, it's not for them because they're not Irish. You don't have to be Irish to enjoy the green, or maybe they don't like to wear the color green. Yeah. So if you don't like St. Patty's Day, which I don't get how you couldn't, when you see Jeff work it like that, uh, it's also World Sleep Day. Mm. That you gotta like World Sleep Day. It's an annual event intended to be a celebration of sleep and a call to action on important issues related to sleep, like snoring, drooling, check, restless check. leg syndrome, check, <laughs> night sweats, check. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good day for everybody. We need to educate people. If you can't sleep, there's medicine. There's machines. That can help you breathe as you sleep. Many people stop breathing. The CPAP machine. The CPAP. Isn't that kind of the new hip thing to do, sleep? 
Like I've heard about this yeah. new fad. It's called sleep. Have you guys heard of sleep? It's <laughs> crazy. It's exploding in Europe right now. Yeah, I had a friend that went and did some sleep, and he, oh my heavens, the next day he looked so good, like so rejuvenated. Really? Tell me more about this sleep thing. Seriously, that's what life's going to be like. Tell me more about sleep. Have you ever seen a baby that uh, right after you fed them, they just gently, just you know, floated away into heaven and just slept for three hours? Yeah. So you're telling me that 30 minute period when I blacked out and can't remember anything that was sleep? That was sleep. Oh, it was delightful. Uh huh. Yeah. Do you remember? I should get more of it. Do you remember that night you took Nyquil because you had that head cold and chest cold, and you woke up? Nine hours later, in a pool of drool, and you thought, what happened to me? Was I taken away by an alien? You're telling me that was sleep? Yes. Terry, when you were driving down the freeway. Yeah. <laughs> you started to drift <laughs> and, and had a little minor accident. And you, like, and you I woke get up, this lane? Yeah, yeah. And you woke up in, you know, something in front of you, and you rammed against it? That was bad driving. That was bad driving, with oh. a little sleep mixed in. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, it's good. Sleep, folks. World Sleep Day. Do it for you. Do it for the kids. <sighs> that is more relaxing than watching Jeff dance, though. Yeah. And if you want to sleep, don't watch Jeff dance because you'll never get it out of your head. <laughs> we'll take uh we can't take a break yet, can we? No. I wanted to go take a little nappy nap. It's okay. Um, Just stay on your feet. You'll be okay. By the way, World Sleep Day, if your boss, if you want to take a nap at work, today's the day. Because what's it, what are they going to say? Yeah. Hey, what are you doing? Just taking a nap. It's World Nap Day. I'm observing World, sleep world day. Nap Day. They could discipline you. But would they? It's, uh, yeah. It's World Sleep Day. What kind of jerk would get all over you because you're sleeping on World Sleep Day? The kind of jerk you don't want to work for. You should test it out. I'm going to try it out today. I test it out every day. Let's uh, turn it over to Terry now. Terry, what's going on other than World Sleep Day and celebrate the Irish Day? What else is going on around the country? On Thursday, President Trump sent his first budget plan to Congress, and it was not warmly received. Democrats criticized the sharp cuts to the EPA and programs for the vulnerable, and Republicans signaled that Congress would write its own budget. Republican defense hawk said Trump's increase in military spending was not big enough, while many GOP lawmakers criticized the proposed 28% cut to the State Department slashing of the National Institutes of Health budget and steep reduction in funds for programs and services in poor and rural areas. If the House voted on Trump's budget as is, one top House Republican told Politico, I don't think we'd get 50 votes for it. Not so popular That's there. That's kind of a problem. <clears throat> Senator Rand Paul on Thursday deemed Senator John McCain a, quote, little bit unhinged following McCain's recent claim that Paul is, quote, working for Russian President Vladimir Putin. Oh, boy. Did you hear about all this? No, yeah, I did There's a little the bit. the fighting on the House floor? Yeah. McCain lobbed the accusation of Paul on the Senate floor Wednesday after Paul left the room in an apparent display of opposition to McCain's request for the Senate's unanimous support of Montenegro's bid to join NATO. Paul has a record of, of taking a stand against interventionist foreign policy. Mm. Paul was asked on MSNBC about Senator McCain. He said, I think he makes a really, really strong case, you know, for term limits. I think maybe he's past his prime. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow. So McCain's trying to put this resolution through. Yeah. There's nobody in the in the house on the Senate floor in the middle of the day. So he's standing there, basically an empty room, talking to C-SPAN because that's what you do. Yeah. Rand Paul's just standing off to the side for no apparent reason. McCain's making his case, and he goes, "Apparently, my the senator from Kentucky is going to have a comment on this." But he goes through all these parliamentary speech sayings, things that you do to make sure things are all covered. And then Rand Paul walks up and goes, I object. And then he walks out of the room. So McCain went through like a, a six-minute diatribe of yeah. policy stuff and then well, two words and, and uh, Paul's out of and the room. And then it got ugly out of the chamber. Yeah, then they went out in the hallways or something. But So it's just funny. Those two will just watch Rand Paul, John McCain. Will <laughs> they continue to fight? Fight night! Because it's getting dirty. Excellent. Chief Justice of California Supreme Court... Uh, wrote a letter to Attorney General Jeff Sessions and Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly on Thursday accusing federal immigration authorities of, quote, stalking local courthouses. She asked that the federal government immediately stop detaining undocumented immigrants at courthouses in California. Enforcement policies that include stalking courthouses and arresting undocumented immigrants, the vast majority of whom pose no risk to the public, is neither safe nor a fair policy. Safe nor fair. If they're there, say, as a witness in a case, they're not going to show up and help out if they know ICE is hanging outside the courthouse. Yeah, you guys got to, yeah. If you you, you got to arrest them somewhere else, like Walmart. Or, I don't know, wait till they break a law or do something that is, dangerous. But isn't, maybe that's, but isn't that why they're there? Because they're not there for witnesses, right? They're there for the criminals that are being charged. That's how they know to be there. No, what, what she's saying is they're just hanging around looking for people that may be undoc- undocumented, and then oh, you walk up and yeah, grab them. I, is that really what they're doing? That's what she's accusing them of. <laughs> because it, it seems like most of the stories were people that already had a court date, and these are the people that everyone's saying we are going to get rid of or get out of the country are these ones that are committing felonies. President Trump talks about the bad dudes. Yeah, then the you bad read, dudes. Then you read the story about the woman – whose husband is or boyfriend's beating her up, so she's trying to get a restraining order, right. but gets arrested because she herself is undocumented. Oh, boy. She didn't do anything wrong other than be here undocumented. She's this trying is to, where, yeah. yeah. This is where it's going to get ugly. And it almost looks like, and this is my opinion, but it looks like maybe ICE has a quota system, and they're trying to hit certain numbers because they really start amping up their activity yeah. as they... They're like, they're like regular police. Possibly. With a quota system. Which they'll never admit to. No. And finally, Saturday Night Live will broadcast live across the United States for the first time in its 42-season history. This according to Variety. No with the, tapings. With the final four episodes of its 42nd season all are set to air live in each time zone. The show will stick to its usual broadcast time of 11.30 Eastern, 10.30 Central, 9.30 Mountain, 8.30 Pacific. But in, in Mountain and Pacific, it was usually... Uh, aired in replay, yeah. and then they replay it later. Well, because it ruins your prime time. Yes, because you're dropping it right in the middle of... Of the NCAA game. Well, that would be if it was on NBC. It's not. It's on CBS. Uh, so no, yeah. Right, but same time. So what's the yeah. purpose of this? They are seeing the biggest ratings they've seen in a decade, and they want to capitalize. Which is why they shouldn't have been so sad when Trump won. They should have been oh, thinking they're, they're lucky stars. Us, right? In the past, the only broadcast uh, Central and Eastern time zones live. The change goes into effect April 15th. Jimmy Fallon will host, followed by Chris Pine, Melissa McCarthy, and Dwayne Johnson will host. It will also spin off Weekend Update into four primetime specials over the summer. 
because they figure there'll just be plenty of material as we just continue this current uh, trend, I guess. In the, oh, that's the so true. They're 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 making hay. And if they just check out for the summer like they normally do, they miss an opportunity. See, right. the the thing is, even though they're broadcasting earlier, which you would think, oh, that people are going to be much more likely to stay up and watch it if it's at nine thirty here in the Mountain Standard Time. Uh, but they all show up on YouTube the very next day That's anyway. Right, right. Who even, so you don't even watch? To, yeah, you don't so have to watch it'll it. It'll air live. It'll air at the regular time in the Mountain and Pacific time zones. And, of course, it's on YouTube. Do they still have a, a guest band? They bring a musical guest. They haven't announced who those will be, but they'll be there, yeah. Because that was always, like, really cool. They have the house band. Yeah. But then they have a musical guest. The House of Representatives band? Yeah. Have you seen, oh, they're incredible. Most Paul of Ryan. The, most of the musical guests, I don't know if you know modern music at the moment, Talk is about kind it. of just like karaoke. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Yeah. You don't like karaoke? It, it it seems more meaningful when the person can actually play an instrument. Would you rather see listen to karaoke or watch Jeffrey do an Irish jig? Neither. Rude. Speaking of karaoke, Ashley Simpson, when she was the musical guest on Saturday Night Live, got busted because she was lip syncing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which I guess isn't – which is worse than karaoke. Yeah. It's like it makes karaoke look professional. (laughs) What's she up to these days? Who knows? About Mm. five, four probably. Hey. uh, Oh, come on. Come on. Hey, settle down. Give me one. Boy, boy, this group is – Hostile crowd. They're, yeah. Their timing's a little off, too. Yeah. Did you notice that? It's almost like it took about a second for the joke to, you know, sink in. Not only did they not get it, but they didn't like it. Mm. That's a double whammy. Hey, uh, if either of you are looking for a job. Maybe. Who knows? Each, each day it's a high wire. Depends here. on if I get caught sleeping today. Yeah. Applications just open to become a paid python killer in South Florida. Nice. The pythons that have been taking over the Everglades may finally have an actual predator. A group of 25 Floridians paid by state agency to, uh, are being paid by the state agency to kill them. This is not your usual minimum wage job. South Florida Water Management District uh, Governing Board is allowing those chosen to work up to eight hours a day at $8.10 an hour. Mm. That's not even minimum wage, is no. it? Well, it depends on what state you're in. But there are uh, cash bonuses depending on the hunter's bounty. So if you're a good hunter, you can uh, you can bring in a lot of money. The pilot program runs for two months starting April 1st. You know there will be a, a series on A&E yeah. on this. They have what they have uh, Gator People, I think, yeah. is one of the shows. So Python the show. Hunters. Yeah, there you go. Uh, the agency is accepting applications. So if this sounds like your dream job, there's still time. Officials will see if this actually curbs the growing problem. The invasive species was likely introduced in Florida by accidental or intentional releases by pet owners. So now, by the way, oh, this is kind of exciting. The python killers will get uh, $50 for each snake measuring up to four feet. Mm. So you get $50 for the first four feet. And another additional $25 for every foot past that. Wow. So you're, you're going to want to go for the big ones. It's like they're selling carpet. Yeah. And by the way, this, uh, this is the song that we'll be playing because this is from Monty Python. Right? It's great. This is the Flying Circus. Monty Python's Flying Circus, not Monty Python's Everglade Python Hunt. Oh. 
See if you can Sorry. find that one. Uh, the hunters can score another $100 for each python taken out that was found guarding a nest of eggs. Well, they have to have proof? Yeah. Take a picture, maybe gather the eggs? Gather the eggs. If you bring in the eggs, you get another $100. So this could be a very lucrative business, plus $8.10. And who knows, maybe benefits. Like, you know, to reattach your arm. <laughs> when the snake takes it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe to refix your vascular system after a python has wrapped itself around you. Sound like great benefits. <laughs> great benefits. Yeah. So, Jeff, I'm just saying, there's a job there. What are you implying? Oh, nothing. But I'm pretty sure when Don sees your Irish jig, you know. That you loved so much. I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But I'm Irish. Like, seriously, 20% of me is Irish. You know Don's got Irish in him. I Do you? Do you? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, we'll find out. Shaline? Shaline. That's got to be Irish. We'll find out. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, we'll be talking about how do you lead the maverick in the office? You know, the one that just doesn't, he wears pink or wears green yoga pants. How do you lead that person? Stick with us. We've got ideas. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Yesterday was the start of the NCAA basketball tournament, and if you work, you may have a bracket challenge with some coworkers, right? Some of them may be glued to their screens today and not getting any work done. And if you manage people uh, during this time, you got to deal with that. How do you handle all of the excitement about the NCAA tournament? Plus, what about the one guy that's really obnoxious about it? You know, the incredible. The the incredibly annoying one, the diva of the office, the the one that argues with everybody, the difficult person. Well, here to help us answer these questions is author and consultant Alan Willett. He is here to discuss his book, Leading the Unleadable, How to Manage Mavericks, Cynics, Divas, and Other Difficult People. And you can find out more about his work at oxseeker.net. Alan, thanks for being with us. Oh, pleasure to be here. It sounds like it's going to be fun. It's going to be way fun. And, you know, to me, it's not always a fun thing to deal with the most difficult people in the office. What um, what inspired you, of all things, to talk about the hardest of the hard? <laughs> Good question. Um, I've really learned in my career that dealing with the hardest of the hard is often where you can get some breakthroughs in really the productivity of the whole group that can really energize everybody once you crack that nut, once you solve that problem. Did you call him a nut? <laughs> I guess I did. Yeah, once you crack that nut. But, it, I mean, what's interesting, and I think everyone relates to it, there's there's just people are different, and, and some, you know, are a lot harder. How do the people that are so difficult to deal with, how are they even in the company in the first place? You'd think well, HR would weed these people out. You'd think they wouldn't have been able to get in and get through, but they're in and they're through. Well, actually, 
a lot of times you find out some of the most talented people are the ones that cause the most disruption. Mm. And it's not because they intend to. They really come with gifts, Yeah, if you will. No, yeah. Can I give you an example? Please. Um, you know, Mavericks. I have, a, I have a few Mavericks that I've worked with. The Mavericks are those people that push the boundaries. They don't accept the status quo. They constantly want improvement. You want people like that in your organization. But sometimes these people cross the red line. Where um, There's one example where somebody, uh, an executive hired somebody really to come in and push the boundaries like this, but the person he hired gave no respect to the history of the organization, just stepped on everybody's toes, pulled in the China shop, and was really making so many people angry that many people were coming to the other executive and saying, we're going to quit unless you get rid of this guy. Hmm. Um, so the executive asked me to help turn this around, and really I sat down with the MacBook and said, really, we just worked out what was going on for him and what, what his relationship was, the executive was, and the group was, and he really didn't know the damage he was causing. And what I really worked with him on was to, if you want to make a positive difference, you have to respect the history of the people that you're with. So it really was getting to the gift he was bringing and showing them how he was stepping on his gift and doing the opposite. Mm. He was able to turn it around. And well, it really energized the whole group when he did. Uh, yeah, when I work with couples, I, I see a similar thing where a lot of what they're doing that is causing so much damage to the relationship, it's not intentional. A lot of times it's it's just personality. A lot of times it's anxiety. A lot of times it's ADHD. Um, it's it's control issues. It's it's a lot of stuff that people aren't aware of. D- do you notice when you're dealing with the Mavericks, the cynics, the divas? Do they not know? Or do they just are they just not that self aware? Oh, that's a good question. You know what I find is they all have good intentions. Um, really, I'm trying to think. Have I ever met anybody that was meaning ill to the organization? The answer is no. Right. So the. Where is the disconnect? I think the disconnect is a lot of the uh, not being aware of their environment, not being aware of the harm they're causing when they cross that red line. Yeah, they, they, they need they need kind of more situational or, or organizational awareness. But you bring up a good point earlier that one of the reasons maybe they're not aware is because they're they're kind of they might be genius at what they do. They might be so good at what they do and so masterful. I've, I sat in a meeting once with a guy that has such incredible ADHD, but he is the best system network architect you've ever seen. He's like incredible. So everybody puts up with like his distractibility because he's so valuable as an architect. Oh, no, absolutely. And that's how these people, as you say, get through HR is because most of the time we hire them based on – the talent they have, and the talents they have are often incredible. So to just fire them is often a mistake, and that's often a mistake too too oftenly made. Yeah, I mean, firing is the I guess it's the easy thing, but at some point to be a leader, you need to lead the difficult ones, and I guess that's why you wrote the book, "Leading the Unleadable." Um, but but it is it's an interesting thing. I, I look at a lot of these movie stars who are or who may be eccentric, maybe have other issues, but are genius at what they do, and it's like herding cats. I bet for some of these producers and directors to get the results they need. 
But a true leader ought to be able to to get into this and 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 work their magic. What would what should leaders do to lead the Maverick? Um. Oh, to lead the Maverick. Well, I think there's some uh, preventive measures that should be done for any of the types, and specifically for the Maverick. Uh, the Maverick really wants to have uh, challenges that they are really personally challenged by and need to bring the whole organization with. Because if they don't have a mountain to climb, if you will, they're going to create their own mountain that could be in a complete different direction than the CEO or anybody else in the organization wants to go. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. So, so maybe talk about your types. Maverick is one of them. Cynic, Diva, and other difficult people. Maybe just describe the, the, head, the, the lead uh, um, categories. Okay. Well, I talked about the Mavericks. They want to push boundaries. And when they cross the red line, they, like I said, they just step on people's toes. The cynic, the cynic actually, people are often miss this gift. The cynic can poke holes in anything, any good ideas. They can show the flaws in it. But there's a gift there because if the cynic can poke holes in it, you can figure out what the holes are and how to fill them. So when, they, when the cynic crosses the red line, they're actually just killing innovation in the organization. Hmm. They're often very charismatic and witty. So they have cutting remarks that just cut things down. The diva, the divas are the folks that want everything to be just so for their own personal success and the success of their project. Hmm. And you actually want these on your projects as well. You want your projects to be successful. But the diva crosses a red line when it's either all about him or her or all about their project to the disregard of the rest of the organization, taking away from the other projects, the other things that must be successful for the whole to be successful. Hmm. I mean, what's interesting, in you, and in one room, in one meeting, you could have a maverick, a cynic, and a diva, and then a bunch of just average Joes. How do you right. survive and, if you're just the average guy? I, I got to tell you, uh, I personally love to have projects that have all of those types on there. And they, when you're, they are led correctly and properly, they bring up the average guy. Hmm. I have a story about that even. Yeah. Go for it. Tell <laughs> uh, us. Yeah. So you might not think that the, uh, that the incompetent could be a gift to a team because uh, there was this one, there's a maverick on one team that was just, came to the team leader and said, this guy is going to kill us. He killed a previous project. He's just not good at what he does. He has quality issues. Uh, and indeed, he killed the previous project uh, because the leader did nothing about it. And this time, the leader did a great job of setting expectations of excellence, where they said, your team is responsible for delivering great value to the customer, uh, create a plan that you can commit to, and do it as a team. And the team did that. Mm. So the Maverick came to the leader and said, Hank is killing us again. And the team leader said, sounds like you really have a problem here. <laughs> <laughs> and the Maverick said, oh, we are committed as a team. And the team leader gave him coaching how to give uh, Hank feedback. And the Maverick basically went to uh, 
Hank's cube and said, you know, we're worried about this. He brought along some teammates, and Hank basically said, you know, I'm glad you came here. I was embarrassed to say this, but this technology we're doing, I just don't know how to do it. And they rose to the occasion. They helped Hank. The Maverick learned a heck of a lot about how to mentor and coach and how to bring up other team members. Mm -hmm. The whole project turned out to be successful. Hank became a, a very valuable member, and the Maverick himself said, I learned so much from this experience. I'm a much better engineer because of this. Do, do Alan, do you suggest that we, with our people, um, that we kind of, I mean, it sounds weird, but, but that we identify with them that they're a maverick or a cynic or a diva? Or do sure. we just keep well, that I, little secret to ourselves? Well, I don't know if I would label it that way. Yeah. But I would absolutely say, I would absolutely Here's a framework I would use for giving feedback to anybody. I really say, let's get rid of the judgment, because what we got to look at is what's happening to the project. For example, there was once, uh, as I said, architect. Architects are great, but sometimes architects can be micromanagers. I don't know if you've seen that before. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so with, with the uh, architect, he was really just starting to make everybody around him insane because he was in the details of everybody. So the leader sat down with him and said, do you want to be a designer of buildings or of an architect of a city? Was basically the feedback because he's, um, and the manager just basically got into it and said, you know, here's what's happening. You're getting into, you're really good at what you do. But you're so caught up in every all these details, you're missing the rest of the city. Hmm. So, you see, took the gift and took him to a higher level. So he really realized that he did want to be the architect more of a city or even a, a group of cities than individual buildings. Yeah. And so the manager worked him with him on how to let go of the details and to be a mentor. So a lot of this... Those people. This sounds like it's really triage in a way, but it's it's kind of as a manager or as a leader, you um, you really are a coach, and you're kind of a personality coach. Yes, um, you are a personality coach, and you want your personalities of the people to shine, but you want it to shine for the betterment of the whole group. I mean, it's it's actually could be really innovative because. You need the cynic, and, you know, when, when it's time to poke holes, you might direct to the cynic and let the cynic work magic, right? And when you want someone to maybe um, go tout the benefits of the project, you maybe hand that to the diva and let the diva go, you know, be your, be your arbiter and your negotiator for the projects. And maybe your maverick is the one that innovates. I mean, that is brilliant. Right? I'm so, use that. Yeah, you got to go use that. It, so really, this is a – I mean, I, you can almost see this in something like a symphony. There's a lot of just different people, but if you're the conductor, you got to figure out how to get the most out of the brass and how to get the most out of the strings and cynics, divas, mavericks aside, you gotta you got to find a way to do it. Alan, let's take a break, come back. I want to continue the discussion. I want to find out – uh, you know, you mentioned a little bit about the Mavericks. If we're dealing with a Maverick, they need to be tested. I want to and, and, and I want to know some of the tricks for dealing with cynics, um, divas and, uh, and, and, and just keep, you know, trying to understand your book, Leading the Unleadable, 
how to manage mavericks, cynics, divas, and other difficult people. I mean, this is uh, this is us. I mean, I, I'm every one of those. I'm probably actually more of a diva. Um, we'll take a break, my friends. Stick with us. This is the Matt. By the way, and, and Terry in my ear said, yep, and Terry's the cynic. Um, we got to figure out what Jeff is when we come back. He's a maverick, totally. Just you'll know that because he's dancing the Irish jig today. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. On the line with us, uh, Alan Willett, author of the book Leading the Unleadable, How to Manage Mavericks, Cynics, Divas, and Other People. Um, And uh, we appreciate your time, Alan. Thanks for your insight on leadership. A pleasure to be here. It's fun. So the maverick, again, a little little recap. A maverick are the ones that are just going to kind of do it their way. You know, whatever, they're going to do it their way. Cynics tend to be the ones that poke holes in everything. They maybe overpower everybody with their wit and charm. And uh, the divas kind of want the project to work their way. They don't care about everyone else's project. Just give me what I need now. Sounds a very good summary. Now, so how do we deal with these different types, these different personalities? Um, It seems like each one of them has a different goal, but each one of them has a different gift. Um, each one of them wants to do good for the organization. They really do. That's the first step of being good leaders of these types of people. Um, I've seen too many leaders fall into the trap where they became angry with the people because they were doing harm to the group, and they just fell into the judgment realm of believing they were doing it on purpose. Nobody does that on purpose. Hmm. And by, and by keeping that in mind, then you don't have to damage the relationship going in with assumptions that they don't care. They just they just don't know how to do it differently. That's correct. And it's like we talked in the first segment. Oftentimes, they really are not aware of the damage they do. Uh, one time I had to give feedback to uh, somebody that got always got angry with surprises every time. And the more angry he got, the uh, more surprised he got because people were afraid to bring him the information he needed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, w- one time I actually, I brought him the information. I was helping out somebody else. I was doing coaching. And I said, you know, Dave's going to bring you some information soon, and he's going to tell you the project's going to be about six weeks late. And the guy rose out of his chair, leaned over his desk, and started yelling at me. I have nothing to do with the project. And I go, you know, if you do that with Dave, I can see why he's afraid to bring you information. He goes, what do you mean? I said, you were yelling at me. You seemed really angry. He said, I did? He said, well, when you rose up above your desk, when your knuckles turned white, when, you, when your voice got really loud, I thought you were angry. I didn't know I did that. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, people are not always aware. They, they lose their mind somehow when they're in this sweet spot of, their biggest gift. Right, right. So what So what are the tricks to handling, I mean, number one trick, it sounds, so first thing is just assume they, they're here to do good. They're not here to damage everybody. Another thing is um, 
know that we gotta we gotta just do some training. They're probably not aware of what they're doing. So there's a couple things. Let's talk about prevent. Um, how to react and then how to prevent. Okay, great. How to react? One is, as a leader, you really must give them judgment-free feedback that leads to a positive difference. So there's a loaded word there, judgment-free feedback that leads to a positive difference. I know a number of leaders that get feedback, but it doesn't lead to a positive difference, and it's often because it's with judgment. Right. So, um, How do you do it without judgment? Do you just give the data? Um, like, you know. What I really recommend for people to do if they're full of anger to look at what the anger is about. It's okay to tell the person that you got angry, but be able to tell them what it's about. And then you can sit down and say, I, I really recommend to give uh, judgment-free feedback in less than two minutes and let the person respond. And I actually think it should be less than a minute. Here's an example. John, you committed to do a number of things for this project, and I've only seen you do one out of six of them. And that one actually had quality problems. I'm actually concerned for you because this is not like your previous behavior, your previous results. Can you explain what's going on? Yeah. No judgment, just the facts, just the data. Um, Somebody actually uh, told me they needed more evidence before they gave feedback, and I said, no, no, you should talk to the person right now, tell them what you're concerned about. So the person did that, sat down and said, you know, uh, Joe, uh, there's a couple customers that uh, thought that you were on your own agenda. I really, that doesn't seem like you, it doesn't seem right. Do you have any ideas why they might feel that way and what's going on? Hmm. The guy said, I had no idea that was happening. I'll really be aware of that. And they came up with some strategies for him to heal relationships with those customers and to figure out what he was doing wrong to get that impression. What, what if what if the person becomes more punitive, like, who? Who said that? Who? I want to know. And, and you, they really just want to go, you know, beat the, the messenger um, I guess you just say, I'm not, I don't want to go there. I want to help you. I want to understand what that's you think's terrific. going on. That's a terrific point. Um, I got to tell you, nine times out of ten, if judgment-free feedback is given, it is well-received and handled. Hmm. But if you get that one time out of ten or even, um, you got to go back to the drawing board and actually go to the remove or approve, remove or improve matrix. Because sometimes... Somebody's not ready to take the feedback to get better. If the person will continue to do harm to the group, you as a leader have one obligation that you must never waver from. The obligation to the group, the team, the organization is not to the individual. Most of the time I feel you can bring the individual back to the betterment of themselves and the group. But if you have a person react the way you just said right now, it's possible that it may be time to move them out of the group. Yeah. I mean, and that's because, again, if if they're making everyone, if they're creating this condition where it's not safe to give feedback, I mean, I guess we could address it. It's it's not people are feeling it's, it's not safe to give you this feedback. Can we work on that? If they're unwilling to work, Alan, then that, I guess, is a sign it's time to, you know, maybe move on or move on where it might fit them better. That's correct. Um, I, I provide a uh, I don't think it's an on off switch, you know, fire keep. Right. I right. think it's more like a rheostat. You change the job condition, you change them, you move them to a different role in the organization, or you move them completely out of the organization, you fire them. Um, I think that's the rarest thing you need to do. 
but I've actually had to do that with people in my career, and they came back and thanked me later, believe it or not, because I did it judgment-free. I yeah. said, you, you really don't fit this role. We don't have a role for you in the organization. I have recommendations for you. But right now, you're in over your head, and you're doing damage to the group. Here's why I think that. And some people can lead them differently, right? I mean, if you, they, it may be harder in your situation, but you might be able to hand them off to another group as that that the manager can handle that difference better and that might create a different culture. And going in as a newbie versus somebody that's already established might create more of a humility for this person. And, I mean, there, there's nothing more constant than change, right? Right. Um and what I, I'd be careful of handing off people that are problematic behavior issues because I think sometimes firing them gives them the opportunity to really reflect. Right. Um, the cases where I moved people on was more like it was a complete job mismatch. There, there, there was behavior problems because of that. Like, you know, if you're in a sustaining group, being a maverick doesn't help you much. <laughs> They're right. trying to disrupt things that, are no longer disruptible. <laughs> yeah, that are the sacrosanct, that need to stay the way they are, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's really, it's a set pattern, and this is uh, something that we're not, it's not the new product line. you got to move the Maverick into maybe a, a, a new product line, uh, you know, something hot, something that needs disrupting. Or I had somebody that really was just in a one of the disruptive groups, but his skills were really on sustaining. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you really had to move him to the right right fit for the personality and skill set. That's what a lot of the behavior issues come up really because they're in the wrong place. Hmm. And I mean, I guess, too, if you've been in a company a while or a long time, it doesn't mean you, you do still fit. And it doesn't mean as the company has changed that that you should be in the same place. Um so I guess that's another role of the leader. What would you say, Alan, as we as we kind of wrap this up? I always like to know the one thing and uh, that that makes the biggest difference in dealing with the difficult people or the more, you know, the, the more difficult people. What's the one trait, the one skill that we need to possess if we want to be successful there? As a leader. Yeah. I think the one skill we must possess there – I'm gonna, sorry, I can't do it in one, it's two. That's um, good. The uh, two is, uh, first is, like I said, accepting the responsibility to the whole group, not to the individual. The second is accepting that even when it's uh, not your fault, it's still your fault. It's still your responsibility. That's great. Giving those two mindsets, I think, sets you on the path to learning all the things you need to learn to do this with exceptional Great stuff. Alan Willett, thank you so much. Again, the book is Leading the Unleadable, How to Manage Mavericks, Cynics, Divas, and Other Difficult People. You can find out more about Alan and his work at oxseeker.net, oxseeker.net, oxseeker.net. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be doing a little tribute to uh, St. Patrick's Day. Stick with us. Welcome back, laddies. 
and lassies. Hey, today's St. Paddy's Day, a day to celebrate Irish culture or to wear green and have a party. Producer Leanna Tan gives us an alternative way to celebrate the day by going green. Today is St. Patrick's Day, and you know what that means. Everyone is wearing green. It's a day to remember the lush green landscape of the Emerald Isle, the color of Ireland's tricolor flag, and the shamrock. Well, I have none of those things, and in fact, I'm not even wearing green today. So I had to figure out another way to join in on the festivities, and I've got it. Today, instead of wearing green, we're celebrating St. Patrick's Day by going green. That's right. Here are five easy ways to save the earth. Number one, wash your clothes in cold water whenever possible. Worldwatch.org says as much as 85% of the energy used to machine wash clothes goes to heating the water. Yikes. And I mean, if you want to take it one step further, you could just keep your clothes on while you shower. Saves you time, saves energy, and you're getting double the benefits out of your soap. (laughs) How eco-friendly. Number two. Unplug appliances when you're not using them. You think that once your bread is popped out of the toaster, your responsibility is over. But MNEnergySmart.com thinks otherwise. It says when equipment is off, if it's still plugged in, it's drawing phantom energy, which means it's still drawing electricity. Phantom energy can account for 15% or more of the total electricity used by your gadgets. So the best way to avoid this is just to unplug your electronics when you're not using them or hook them up to a power strip so all you have to do is flip the switch before you leave. Number three, use a water bottle. You know, the kind that you wash and reuse. Treehugger.com says the U.S. consumes 1,500 plastic water bottles every second. And out of the 50 billion bottles of water being bought each year, 80% end up in the landfill, even though recycling programs exist. Plastic bottles leak toxins into the water, which could be linked to reproductive issues and cancer. Plus, bottled water costs 1,000 times more than tap water. Drinking two liters of tap water a day only costs 50 cents a year. I personally have one of those bionic-looking reusable water bottles. You know, the ones with the handle, credit card holder, and little flip cap thing. Great investment. I feel like I'm carrying around a little transformer wherever I go. I definitely recommend. Number four, don't heat an empty house. Not only does this hurt the earth, it hurts your wallet. Don't be that roommate. SheKnows.com recommends turning your thermostat to 68 degrees Fahrenheit when you're home and 55 degrees at night and while you're away during the winter. But now, since we're entering spring, I'd say take the opportunity to break away from that thermostat and let the natural sunlight and an open window regulate the temperature of your home. And number five, unsubscribe from junk mail. Yeah, you know all those annoying flyers and magazines that come to your house. It only takes about 10 minutes, but saves you an average of 69 pounds of junk mail that's sent to your home each year. That's like the weight of your 10-year-old nephew in junk. Wow. SustainableBabysteps.com says it takes an average of 24 trees to produce one ton of the paper used in your junk mail and catalogs. That's approximately 96 million trees per year in the U.S. alone. The EPA states that over 50% of junk mail is not even recycled, meaning 48 million trees are thrown away. That's the equivalent of chopping down a tree in every other yard across the nation. Now, you'll never want to go to the mailbox again. Because that long walk of shame will be tainted with feelings of dread, frustration, and guilt. Knowing that all that waits for you behind that little metal lid is a pile of dead trees, killed for your consumer benefit. 
Not to mention the inflated bills from all that phantom power you used and the heat that no one but your empty house enjoyed. But it's okay. At least when you get back into the house, you can shower with all your clothes on to make up for the wasted energy, right? Well, I hope these pangs of guilt hit you every time you pass someone wearing green today. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. It's Friday. It's Friday. It's also, by the way, St. Patty's Day. A little luck of the Irish. I am Irish. One, I think, fifth of me. And I'm not going to tell you what fifth. Your toes look pretty Irish. Yeah. Speaking of Irish toes, uh, we've been blessed today to see Jeffrey uh, Leroy Simpson. Liam. Sorry. So it went from Lamar to Leroy? <laughs> I'm trying Even to. Even after I told you what it I was? I knew it started with an L. Jeffrey uh, Liam Simpson, which is Liam is the Irish in him. He's going to now uh, do a little Irish jig for us. Jeffrey, please. Yes. Uh-huh. Kick it. Wow. Have you ever seen toe work like that? No, I have not. It's like it's like it's a hand. He can spread his toes out. Toe work? What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, right, dude? Yeah. He's always so winded. Well, well it's hard. You, you saw what, what he was doing. Did. And like those I, pants. For for the level of expertise you're demonstrating, you'd think your cardio would be better. Well, no, because obviously you he practice. doesn't do this year round. But he practices. He's got no. Some... I, I pull it out once a year, and right. so I'm not. These types of muscles that I'm using are not yeah, that that's it. exercised or warm. <laughs> I can't speak. I think Did you stretch? Did you stretch before? No, that may have been it. Ooh. I think um, <laughs> the tightness of your yoga pants has mm. pushed all of the blood. Circulation. Up into your chest, yeah. and it's it's probably altered your pressure, your bo- your blood pressure. So maybe that's what maybe that's why you're winded. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> it's just making it harder for your body to work. Anyway, whatever it is, uh, it's magically delicious. Is exactly um, what Terry said earlier about it. Magically delicious. Mm, no, I don't think it's. That's <laughs> cool. Whatever. Yeah, go it's for really it. cool. It works. Anyway, great day um, to celebrate all things Irish. So if if you have a pool, it's time to color it green. If you have a river, like in Chicago, Chicago, you need to pollute it. Now the funny no, thing is, no, it's not polluted. It's just you just color it green. Yeah. But what's so weird is there's other places in this world where green algae and red algae are taking over um, rivers and streams, and people don't like that. But like in Chicago, they green up the river, and everyone thinks it's a great idea. I've been there when it was green, and honestly, not knowing that that's what they do, I thought Chicago had a lot of waste in their river. But uh, everyone celebrates differently. It's also, by the way, it's not just um, it's not just a little love of the Irish. Today is also International 
World Sleep Day. <sighs> Time to grab your blankie, your uh, body pillow, Jeffrey. They're very comfortable, I'll have you know. Yeah. I've never had a body pillow. Well, I guess it's never if, you, too late. if your wife doesn't want to spoon with you, mm-hmm. just get a body pillow and then uh, you're set. And then just go to bed. Mm-hmm. And if your thumb happens to wander, make its way into your mouth, that's <laughs> so okay too. So be it. No one's judging you because on World Sleep Day... We don't judge anybody. We just educate you on the benefits of sleep, the benefits of a CPAP machine that keeps you breathing as you're incubated in your nice cocoon. So tell me more about this sleep thing. Some people, because they gain a little weight, apparently, they don't oxygenate their their soft palate. No, I just meant sleep in general. Oh, what is sleep? Oh, yeah. I'm not familiar with it. I thought you wanted me to talk about a CPAP. No. By the way, a crazy little truth for you. 20% of couples do not sleep together. Really? Yeah. Because so they're living in the I Love Lucy era. Kind of, yeah. In the twin beds, in a, in a bedroom. Some because their partner snores or restless leg syndrome or because he missed their anniversary. Take your pick. Um, sleep. It's this thing. You may have done it before when at, you're at night you close your eyes and then you start going into this dreamland world where you start thinking thoughts and images in your head and like maybe you're sawing a log and you wake up and you're like (gasps) so I want to say it's got to be like a five hour period where I just don't remember anything but I don't remember closing my eyes yeah sometimes you don't but it could it could be more than five hours if you don't work on a morning show. Hmm. You know, it could be seven hours. Doctors would say it should be at least seven to eight. Please tell me you talk to Don about this again. Yeah. <laughs> and he just says, you know, you can sleep during the day, which is what we'll be doing today. Okay. Lots of excitement there today. There he is. There he is. Uh, lots of excitement today as we uh, we talk about not just World Sleep Day and St. Patrick's Day. In the uh, empty news, we'll get to we'll be covering the fact um, of a couple faking a murder with ketchup and then taking some photos. Yeah, it didn't end well. Yeah, usually doesn't. No. Also, a Mexican chef creates a twenty five thousand dollar taco. Well, apparently, though, it's not uh, selling off the shelf, shall we say? No. Nobody wants to buy it. And a five-foot-long dead shark mysteriously left in a shopping cart outside of a Florida Walmart. Of course. Where else would you find a shark in a shopping cart? Uh, Sharknado. That's exactly what They're looking for a a cause. How did this happen? There you go. Sharknado. So we'll get to that little shark update. Also, uh, because it's Friday, we're going to talk movies. And Jeff's going to be leading us in some pretty interesting discussions about why we keep seeing repeat movies, like uh, themes, old nostalgic stories coming back to life. Yes. Like like Jaws 17. No, that's not new. Sharknado. No. That was one of my nostalgic dreams from World Sleep Day. Really? Yeah. So you dreamt it before it was a reality. I dreamt it when I was 12. 
and that was 20 years ago. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's uh, do the math based on you know every doodle of a 12 year old while he was bored in exactly. school flying sharks. So we'll get to all of that fun plus uh, BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's up on their show and also a little uh, hero story. But first to the headlines with our own hero and part Irish ish. I was trying to figure out which part. It's yeah. kind of confusing. Terry South. Nikki Haley, the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, was on the Today Show yesterday, and she cautioned President Trump to, quote, never trust Russia, while she talked with the uh, ever-present Matt Lauer, as you probably know. Ever-present. Ever-present. They were talking about the uh, Russians and the alleged hacking of the DNC, as well as the Department of Justice indicating several Russians and uh, the 2014 hacking of Yahoo. In return, she adv- Yahoo. Yeah, she advised the president, take it seriously. We cannot trust Russia. We should never trust Russia, she added. I've always made it very clear from my confirmation and in other words that I have said in the U.N. How, how long has she been in as a... Well, oh, 40 or 58 days. She has always said... <laughs> Every time I speak in the last 58 days, I've always made it very clear from my confirmation and the words that I've said in the U.N. that I don't trust Russia. Though Haley was critical of Trump's first travel ban targeting Muslim-majority countries, she said she supports the newest version. It's not a Muslim ban, she said. I will never support a Muslim ban. I don't think we should ever ban anyone based on their religion. That's un-American. Right. Duh. So that's where that's That's good. The United States has made a formal apology to Britain after a baseless claim that the nation's spy service, the GCHQ, helped former President Obama wiretap Trump Tower before President Trump's inauguration. The apology came directly from White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer and the National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster, a person familiar with the incident, told The Telegraph. Apparently, Sean Spicer alluded to maybe there was British assistance in the wiretapping, because there's no official wiretap, like a warrant, or the FBI and NSA and all these groups are saying it's not us. Have they checked the wiretap logs? Could the and so there's this idea that maybe President Obama reached out across to you know friends uh-huh. to have them right. look back into right. the country and with no nothing to base this on, they're yeah. just talking. And now they had to formally apologize for implicating somebody else into this. Check mess. North Korea. There's another story there today as Tillerson's over there talking about uh, South Korea, North Korea, and possible interventions that we could make into North Korea. That's interesting. Now there's reports that there was some training on on what's the best way to interact with North Korea on a diplomatic uh, level, and Tillerson skipped those because he was tired. That's the story. Okay, well, we'll see what happens. It's a long flight. Office of Management and Budget Director Mick Mulvaney on Thursday defended President Trump's budget proposal as planned to slash funding for programs like Meals on Wheels, insisting the food delivery program is among those, quote, not showing any results. We can't do that anymore. We can't spend money on programs just because they sound good, Mulvaney said to the of the program that provides meals for the impoverished elderly. In a statement Thursday, Meals on Wheels noted Trump's budget cuts could have serious implications for its network that operates more than 5,000 local programs, though it pointed out further details on the budget have yet to be released. Wow. That, there's after-school programs, there's all kinds of things that will be cut in that budget, if that's what goes through. But again, it was just a wish list. Right, right, right. And Congress is not doesn't look too... Uh, keen on passing most of that and finally um you use netflix yeah use it i abuse it you abuse netflix they have the star rating system yes apparently that's going away 
What? Yeah, Don't do that. Getting rid of the star no, system. No, no, They're going to go with the thumbs up, thumbs down no, system. Oh no. Todd Yellen, VP of product design or whatever Todd. for Netflix on Thursday said, though the company has tested the new thumbs up, thumbs down rating with hundreds of thousands of members in 2016, we are... It says, we are addicted to the methodology of A-B testing. The result was that Thumbs got 200% more ratings than the traditional star rating feature. Well, now, because you're, you, I know, because you're introducing a new thing. People will use it more. Netflix also introducing a new percent match feature that shows how good of a match any given show or movie is for an individual subscriber. For example, a show that should, clo- should uh, close to perfectly fit a user's taste may get a 98% match. Shows that have less than a 50% match won't display a match rating, however. So if it's <sighs> under 50, they're not even going to Yeah, this is, you know what, let's complicate the system then there's nothing less complicated than a five-star system. See, now, what happens if you get a movie that is 98% matched to you, but you don't like the movie that they're suggesting? Suggesting. I remember in high school, we took one of those, like, who's your perfect match type of tests. Yeah, yeah. And the girl that was my highest match was not a girl that I was particularly attracted to. Well, then you obviously were wrong. Now, Netflix says they're doing this because they noticed over time that people would rate, say, a documentary with five stars uh-huh. and silly movies with just three stars. But they'd watch more silly movies than they'd watch the documentaries. Okay. So what they're saying is if you're watching more of something else, that probably should be your five-star rating. Uh, oh, so they think it's about what we're watching. I'm thinking about it's the quality of what I'm watching. Yeah, and they want to know what you're watching, not what you think well, is they, quality. Well, the funny thing is, is Netflix knows what I'm watching. But they want... I yeah. don't want to watch stuff just because a billion people are watching it. If it's silly and stupid, I don't want to watch it. So basically the, they, the signal they wanted, the signal they were getting wasn't yeah. exactly the matching up. So now they're making it very simple. Is it good? Is it bad? Can I just suggest this has probably a lot less to do with what Netflix viewers want yeah. and actually somehow will benefit Netflix sure. to be able to market and get more money from right. said Netflix Viewer, it's all about Whoa. making money. Mic drop. <laughs> hey, now wait a minute. This you're messing up, with my Netflix. This, it's the only thing I care about anymore. <laughs> this brings up an interesting question because didn't Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel trademark the thumbs up rating system? Are they going to have to pay any money to uh, the Roger Ebert yes uh, estate to have this rating system? I don't know. I would think they would. Everybody's using thumbs up now, and it's Siskel and Ebert's. No, I'm serious. I know. There's no other reviewer out there. Penny per thumb. There's no other reviewer out there that can do the thumbs up or thumbs down review. You know what? Maybe there's a little lawsuit. Let's start that from beyond the grave. Anything to stop Netflix from messing. This is going to matter to your Netflix viewing. How often do you rate things? How often do you go in and rate and then they give you like the 500 movies and you just sort of aimlessly click on things? I do both. Do you? If I really like something, I rate it. It's like if I really have a good service with a, at a restaurant, I tip incredibly well, easily up to 12, 13%. Wow. <laughs> Actually, I'll tip to 20, I'll tip 20% if I like the service. If I don't like the service, I tip 15%. Take that. Make sense? It's a simple system. No thumbs up, no thumbs down. Do you have your own profile on Netflix? Yes. Do your kids have their own profiles? Yes. 
Do you ever find that someone is watching your profile because it suggests something that you would never watch? Yes. And you get angered. Yes. I don't want to watch Call the Midwife. Yeah, what's up with that? Why is it on there? I love that show. Call what? the Midwife? Yeah. Sounds horrible. <laughs> Honey, call the midwife. <laughs> I think my baby's coming. Um, huh. Okay, well, thanks, Netflix. I'm mad at all these companies. Why? Because they're not doing what's best for me. What would you rather they do? This is the diva thing coming yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, that's one thing. But Facebook, too. They're, mm. not, they're not looking out for me. No. They just keep optimizing my data and selling it to everyone else and then telling me that if I want more exposure to the, my own people that I put on their network, mm-hmm. I have to pay more. Yeah. It's a crock. It's a business. It used to be a community. Nah. And now that's – the... see, that's the thing. Once you start messing with the community, yeah. then someone else will come build a better community. Yeah. And we'll go there. Who's that going to be? Snapchat? Amazon. You're going to go to Prime. Snapchat? No, because Snapchat's struggling. <laughs> anyway. They just IPO'd. I know, but they IPO'd, but their, their IPO is more PO well, yeah. than IPO. <laughs> yes, it is. Know what I mean? And I don't even know what those acronyms – I don't even know what the acronym means. Right. You're just making stuff up. It's made it all up, but it sounded brilliant. Right. Let's uh, take a break. When we come back, we are going to get into the movies. Actually, our great uh, Jeff Simpson will lead us in a movie discussion with Rod Gustafson. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. We have a wonderful opportunity. It is Friday, as you know, so we do like to talk movies. We're speaking with Rod Gustafson, who is going to talk to us about the new film, which is sure to be a box office success, Beauty and the Beast. And he's here with us now. Rod, welcome to the show. Hey, Jeff. I really like the uh, the theme music, the it's bridge getting, there. It's getting was better nice. and better, isn't it? It is like I, I've got a hankering for cocktail sausages and um, you know those some pates on top of crackers. Actually, I hate pate, but you know it just gets me in the mood. Rod, only the best for you. <laughs> Thank you. So you're here to talk to us about Beauty and the Beast, which is a remake of a film from way back in the '90s. Yeah, sadly, it doesn't feel like all that long. I remember all too well when it came out. Yes, yes, that's right, and. Um, This, of course, is the third movie that Disney has taken some of their – a a lot of people look at the 1990s as Disney's renaissance. And so this is considered one of the renaissance movies of the 1990s when Disney really hit the the road with some very very good animated films. And so this one's the third one. Of course, the other two being The Jungle Book and Cinderella, actually. I'm mistaken. I mean, Cinderella dates way, way back. But this is the third one of these animated to live action conversions that they've done. And are we um, counting? Or what about? Are we counting uh, 101 and 102 Dalmatians? Oh, you know, I forgot about that. They did do those live action ones. I they're, wanted they're to forget about those yeah. ones. Oh, <laughs> they really were forgettable. You're right, Jeff. They really they did do those. Yes, 
Glenn Close. Oh yeah, she still kind of is screaming in my brain after watching those movies. But... Sorry for the for, sorry for the painful reminder. <laughs> yes, that's right. Anyway, so yeah, this is one of the another one of these has been redone, and so of course, not surprisingly, um, it, it, the visuals are just amazing. What they can do with the mixture of animation and live action and bringing it all together. Uh, technically, this is going to be nominated, I'm almost certain, for visual effects, probably for costumes. Uh, just an incredible-looking movie. Now, as you know, and you know, we kind of talked about this during the break, this is a film that was met with some controversy, but there really was no controversy until the film's director came out and made a statement that one of the film's characters has a gay moment. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I um, frankly, I think he made a mistake doing that. I think he was a little excited about about this this uh, opportunity. Uh, he was speaking to a reporter from a uh, prominent UK gay magazine uh, when he made that comment. And um, I, and I think he's done the film a disservice, actually. I think that that comment is kind of overridden what so many other people are, are looking at it, the film. But for the people that are wondering, because I've had many people say to me, Jeff, well, you know, I was going to go to this movie, but I hear it's a gay movie. Okay, so first of all, put everybody's minds at ease. If Bill had not made this comment, I don't even know if people would be mentioning it. It is that much of a small, minor detail. Now, the character that we're talking about is, and I'm just going to assume everybody knows this story, so I'm not even going to go through the story, but Gaston, who, of course, is this um, pompous bachelor in this little town where Belle lives, it's his sidekick, LeFou. And uh, LeFou in the movie is the very effeminate character as he's somewhat, you know, he, he had some of those traits even, you know, in the animation. And so he's one of those characters. And then at the very, very end of the movie, we see him for, my wife told me somebody reported it was 3.4 seconds. I don't even think it's that long where in the big celebratory scene at the end where everybody's dancing, we see him for a brief moment dancing with a man. Okay. Um, you know, for, if that's a deal breaker for you, then don't go see the movie. But in some ways, I think it's it's too bad that so much of this focus is coming on this particular film that has many, many good things to offer. And uh, frankly, you know, if we have gay characters in films and have had them in films for decades playing much more prominent roles than what's in this film. I guess maybe part of it is it's a Disney movie. And yes, I guess this is a little bit of a, a watershed moment. But at the same time, I hate to have that eliminate the rest of this film and, and dominate the conversation because the film really has a lot of other positive things to offer. Well, Rod, I am outraged that they would show something that has been seen in hundreds of other films before. <laughs> well, you do bring up a good point, and I wonder, you know, it seems like the director may have had some motivation behind making this comment, you know, like, we are making a stance that there is a gay character in here. I want everybody to know about it so that we it seemed like he is trying to move things forward as far as gay characters in movies in general and, and particularly in Disney movies. 
and you know, I agree with you, Jeff. I mean, Bill Condon is openly gay. He has been, people have known this for years, um, as are many people in Hollywood. And so it's only natural that we are going to start to see more gay characters in films. My feelings on it, rightly or wrongly, are this. Um, The market is already demonstrating that movies that are featuring predominantly gay protagonists make very, very little money at the box office. At least at this point, people don't go see these movies. So let's take Moonlight, for example, which won the Best Picture Award, very famously at the Oscars. And um, now this is an R-rated film, and R-rated films typically don't make as much money to begin with. But last I checked, I think it's around $20 million, which in Hollywood terms is barely even making the mark as being a, a, a major feature release. So, and we have seen this in other movies as well. Um, these films usually don't do that well, and sometimes I am concerned that we give movies more um, publicity than perhaps maybe they would have had just by just by igniting these controversies. So as far as the future of Disney films go, yeah, I mean, it, probably we are going to see more um, we are going to see more gay and perhaps lesbian characters in films that Disney is going to be making. Um, personally, I, you know, I, I don't support gay marriage at the same time. I do know that this is going to be a part of the culture that's going to work its way in. Just like I, I don't drink, I don't do drugs. I see drinking, I see drug use. I see many things I don't do in movies. And, uh, and so, you know, that's, that's kind of where we put this package. And, um, and so at parent previews, we believe we want parents to be able to know this is what's in the film. And then they're going to have to make the decision that they feel, uh, it represents as the best for their family, for their kids. Sure. You know, it is interesting because as you said, you know, you may not not drink, but you, there are people that drink. There, it is a reality that there are gay people that, you know, and we've seen them before in movies, and, and you said we'll probably see them more in Disney movies. Do you think, uh, do you think that the, the backlash that this film is getting is fair? And, and what does that mean for Disney movies going forward? Well, first of all, I don't think the backlash on this film is going to affect its box office. I think this this movie is going to make a tremendous amount of money. I think it's going to do very well. Um, ticket sales have already. Fandango, which is a, a big uh, pre-ticket vendor, online ticket vendor, they say that this one has beat records of many other films and definitely is is pre-sold more tickets than any other film in the family movie category. So I don't think that this is really going to affect the box office. And I think as the word gets out, as far as um, how big of a, I guess, how how um, prominent the gay character is in this movie, which he is not, it's, it's really a minor, minor thing. I think that more people are going to go, okay, well, this was much ado about nothing. Um, as far as in the future, you know, I think it's still going to be a while before we see a big push um, for major roles that are featuring gay storylines, especially within Disney movies. Um, I think that Disney, if anything, I think Disney is more stuck on traditional um, 
uh, prince and princess storylines, which they have been criticized for many times over the years, um, how women are depicted and how men are depicted in Disney movies. Um, it would be a huge, huge leap for them to totally embrace uh, let's say having uh, two gay men, two princes or something that are going to be starring in a Disney film. Can it ever happen? Well, who knows? But I think that it, I think that there will be other companies, other studios that will experiment with that long before Disney, um, especially within the confines of the PG rated movie. Yeah. Thanks, Rod. And uh, before we go, I want to—I know we've talked a lot about the controversy surrounding the film, but I just want to know, did you like the film and would you recommend it to other people? I did like the film and I would recommend it to other people. We're giving it a B plus. Um, it, you know, frankly, it, and part of my concern of how much the, uh, the gay issue is taken away from this— the issue for me, if I, if my children were six and eight years old and they wanted to come see this movie, the issue for me, surprisingly, would be the violence. If I have a criticism of this film, uh, I believe that they it took the violence a little bit too far with it. It um, There is, I'm trying my best not to give it away, but first of all, when you have live action actors playing these roles... There are the the bullying component against Belle and against her father seems much more real. It seems much more harsh. Um, and then in the closing scene, um, okay, I'm going to give it away if you guys don't want to hear a major spoiler, but I mean, you've all seen the story, right? So we know that there's going to be the conflict between the Beast and Gaston. It involves uh, uh, three gunshots, two of them on screen, which are quite, you're like, oh, wee, this is a PG-rated Disney movie. I found that to be much more shocking, if you will, to me than three seconds of two guys dancing together. Yeah. And so, um, uh, so parents, just a, a heads up on that. It, um, you know, I, and I could hear a gasp in the audience that I was with as well. So that's my biggest criticism of the film. I, I think they could have dialed down the violence. It comes across pretty strong, especially with the live action. Otherwise, this is a beautiful film. Um, it rounds out the backstories of some of these characters. We understand more about what's motivated uh, the beast to become the, the bitter and twisted person he is. And we understand more about Belle's background as well. And that really helps us to be able to have greater empathy for the characters and to understand kind of how the storyline comes about. And so that works out really well. And I felt that that, that really helped the, the movie. And it really, the other thing I did like about this film is it says a lot about the importance of literacy, the importance of reading and having an education, and the importance of having empathy for other people and not judging a beast by his cover, if you will. So, so there are some really, there's some very positive messages in this film that come across very nicely. Okay, Rod, on that note, one last question before we go. I'm going to a free screening of this tomorrow morning with my family, and I've got a two-year-old and a five-year-old. Am I the worst parent in the world? <laughs> well, you know, it, it's going to be, as I say, you may want to be on your guard as you come into the closing minutes uh, when Gaston and the Beast have their big conflict on top of the castle roof because that could be scary for kids. So, so parents of younger children who are probably going to want to take their younger children to this, uh, just be careful and be prepared to talk to them about some of the violent confrontations. Um, that will, I think, be the biggest thing that your children are going to notice and perhaps be bothered by in this movie. 
Well, Rod, thank you so much. His name is Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. They help you make more informed decisions on what to show your children as far as uh, media is concerned. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll be speaking with Dr. Matt Townsend about uh, some very interesting things regarding our choices in the media and what that says about us. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. I'm speaking with Dr. Matt Townsend. We're doing a little flippity-flop here on the show. (laughs) Hello, Jeffrey, and your (laughs) flippity-flop. So the reason I wanted to talk about this topic today is because we're seeing a remake of a movie that came back in the 90s. Yeah. Right? Right. So we know the motivations behind... The uh, the Hollywood executives to make this film to make more money, right? right? They had a film that was successful back in the Do 90s. Do it again. Do it again. We know it's a guaranteed hit. So we know their motivations for making it. But what are our motivations for wanting to go see it? And I believe there are several different types of people uh, that make these de- decisions for very different reasons. So I want to talk a little bit about that, and I want to see which one you are, okay? Okay. Yeah. So the first type of person that would be interested in seeing this movie would be somebody that wants to – they're looking for that fountain of youth. They want to retain their youth. Ah. They don't want to grow up. They've experienced – wonderful things in their childhood, and they want to recapture that. For a lot of the people that will go see this film, Beauty they the were Beast. kids when, yeah. they were, when Beauty and the Beast came out right. in the they, early 90s, yeah. right? Okay. Um, and I, I thought of some things in my life that I just loved from my childhood that I tried to recreate later on, and uh-huh. it didn't really work. There was a game that I would play. You'd go to the Parks and Rec program at the park. Right. There was this table. It was called Pocket Golf, and it was kind of like a mix between billiards and golf. And you'd you'd have this little stick, and you'd knock this little carom, which is this little wooden token that gets bounced around the board, and you try to make it into these pockets. Yeah. Um, loved it. I bought it to play at home when I was in my late 20s. Didn't have the same effect. Interesting. I yeah, couldn't, I couldn't yeah. recreate that magic. Another example, I you know I bought old TV shows that I used to watch as a kid from mm-hmm. Nickelodeon, uh, and one of them wasn't on Nickelodeon, but I, there was a show called Salute Your Shorts about these <laughs> these teens at summer camp, and there was Pee Wee's Playhouse, and I tried watching them again, and I I just right. I couldn't get into them anymore. Do you have any examples yeah. from your life? No, totally. There, there's a there's a handheld like basketball game by that Mattel made. I was just thinking of this during the show when we were talking about basketball. I loved it. I used to play it all the time, and it was my favorite game. They also had a Mattel baseball game as well, and loved it. I bought one for my kids, and it's not the same because yeah. well now we've played these full graphic kind of you know uh, what's it called just incredible sports games, they don't compare. But there's still the nostalgia. So it's interesting. I spent the money, but then I was disappointed. And I think psychologically, a lot of people, if you're going for the nostalgia, it's it's not going to be the same thing because Mm-mm. you've grown up. 
I think some of the people want to watch this, watch um, Beauty and the Beast because it's almost maybe even a throwback to even earlier days, 50s and 60s, mm. musicals, dancing, Yeah, where it's even taking you to another era that you never lived through but you want to live through. Right, which is interesting because that kind of leads to the next person that's going to see this type of movie, which is someone that is interested in passing the baton. Ah. There are certain films, yeah. certain activities that are really just timeless. Mm-hmm. You know, Some of those other things we mentioned are a little more dated or it's just impossible to try to recreate the happiness that we experience because there's so much that is in, uh, that uh, our circumstances right. determine that, you know, anyway. The baton so passing. Passing the baton. I remember taking road trips. We lived in Southern California. We'd always go to Utah for family vacations to visit family. And my dad would pop in a tape by the coasters. Ooh. Do you remember the coasters? No. Uh-uh. They did songs like Yakety Yak, oh, Charlie cool. Brown, yeah. Poison Ivy, Love Potion Number no. 9. Right. Those are great. Great songs that I loved as a kid. And so I kind of saw that as my dad passing off the baton. Here are songs that I enjoyed when I was a kid. Right. Maybe I listen to other music now, but maybe they'll enjoy it as much as I did. Mm. So trying to recreate some of those same memories and experiences for the next right. generation. Right? Har- Harlem Globetrotters. We did, there I did you that go. with my kids. Took the kids to the Harlem Globetrotters. But they weren't it, – it didn't hand off as well. Really? Now, the music would. I might use the coasters. Yeah. But, yeah, they did – I mean, yeah. Interesting, because they are now they they live in a day when they do trick shots and they're on a trampoline playing basketball now, and it's a different era. Yeah, well, at least they're getting exercise. That's right. At least you're getting out. So, as far as movies go, there were a couple of of examples that I thought of that I've watched with my children that are really just timeless. Meaning, I still enjoy them just as much as I used to when I was a kid. So one of them is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> yeah. When I was growing up, anytime I was sick and had to stay home from school, this is the movie I would watch. I don't know why. That's just the way it was. And I showed it to my kids, and we've watched it a couple of times. They like it. Now I'm reading the book to them. See? That's good. The Wizard of Oz. Oh, that's a huge, yeah. The Wizard of Oz. That's one everyone has to experience. I think that is probably... When you say timeless movie, that's probably the best example you could give. Totally. It still holds up. Yep. It's still... Sound of music. Hmm. Anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> my kids... My, I'd, I'd rewatch that, but... My you know. son-in-law, daughter-in-law, my son-in-law and daughter love it. They got married and went on uh, kind of a little mini honeymoon eventually to all over the Sound of Music um, sites in Europe. Yep, and they have sing-alongs for yeah, that movie all the, the time. The you know, that, that movie touches different people for different reasons. I, I'd watch it again, right? but I don't, I don't think it was as epic and as magical as The Wizard of Oz. For no. me, anyway. No. We, uh, with my kids, it was Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Oh. <gasps> Steve Martin, mm-hmm. I, I love that so movie. I, my kids love it. All watch Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and another show they all love, Hogan's Heroes. Oh so yeah! So when we go on a trip, we'll go watch a bunch of Hogan's Heroes, yeah. and they love it. There's one more category that yeah. I want to talk about okay. here. So this is somebody that just wants to justify seeing a movie that they probably shouldn't, by all accounts, be seeing. Be wanting to see, yeah, yeah. 
For example, there's a movie that came out a couple years back called Goosebumps. Mm -hmm. Now, I grew up reading those books, and I really wanted to see this movie, not because, you know, obviously the movie wasn't around when I was a kid, but for some reason it looked really appealing to me. Yeah, the kid in you. But I couldn't figure out a way to see this movie and be able to explain, yeah, I went and saw this movie by myself. So you had to have children. Right, but... It's a little – my kids are a little too young for this type of movie. They'd be scared out of their wits. Right. I ended up seeing it anyway, and that's not – you know, that's (laughs) – another – oh, and this is one I told you about recently. I wanted to watch Jumanji. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, I'll show it to my kids. They'll love it. Five minutes into it, before anything even pops out of this board game – if you're not familiar with Jumanji, it's about this board game that the things that dis- are described in the game come to, come life, to life and they, there's in parallel. In incredible ways, right? Yes. So before anything even came out of the board, all there was was a little bit of drumming, you know, like boom, ba da boom, ba da ba boom, ba da So there was a stampede or something coming. It freaked out my girls. <laughs> I looked over. They're both covering their eyes, and they're both screaming, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. And I, 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 can't, I couldn't turn it off and delete it from my DVR fast enough. <laughs> my five-year-old turns to me with the saddest eyes and says, why would you show that to us? <laughs> and I felt like the worst dad of uh, the year. Kids, it's not about you on this one. This was daddy. This is daddy wanting a movie. So do you feel like you can recapture your youth or do you want to? Or would you rather just pass on the baton to the next generation? You know what I notice? I recapture my youth watching my kids capture their youth. Hmm. So instead of me trying to get them to live what I lived, I might try it. But I notice about half the time it doesn't work. Right. But – when I watch them and I get into what they love, then I actually feel younger. Playing yeah. what they play, watching what they watch, doing more what they do. So it's actually – it's all new. It's a new youth instead of an old youth. That is a great point. That's that's the way I feel going to Disneyland now with my kids. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Matt, this has been a wonderful, Fun, interesting huh? topic. Fun. It took me back. You you spark our brains. You make us think different things about movies that we would never think about. Right. You're Maybe some things this. that you probably should never think about. No, exactly. And <laughs> things you should never show your kids, like Jumanji. But figure out a way, if you can, to recapture some of that magic and to regain some of your youth. And if you can't do that, just pass it on to the next generation and... uh The world is right. All is right in the world, so to speak. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be speaking with Spencer and Jerem at BYU Sports Nation, two kids at heart who uh, hopefully are doing a little Irish jig today as we continue to celebrate St. Patrick's Day here on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. BYU Radio. Why the obsession with the future world? It, it was bright. It, it was a very positive view of it. And it was like, life is going to be so much better when we can get away from all of this organic, messy stuff and just have clean plastic wherever we look. <laughs> On our rock and roll show, Through the Garage Door, we not only take you to the past, we transport you to the future. Any band that wears plastic hair and flower pots on their heads deserves to be in the future. Make your future brighter by listening to Through the Garage Door, midnight Eastern on BYU Radio.
Welcome back, laddies and lassies. Now we're going to shoot it down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation as they dance a little jig. Spencer and Jeremy, are you there, kids? Aye, laddie. <laughs> we just lit up the set all green. Did you? By Does we, it... I mean the crew. Yeah, we meaning you didn't touch a thing. Game. Yeah. It's but... all green. It's all green right now. It looks amazing. Happy St. Patty's Day. Not only that, but happy BYU first ever spring break day. Oh, that's right. That's why they're so... <laughs> we don't have very many students around here today. They're all working for you, I think. Well, it's a Friday, so typically they're not. Friday, St. Patrick's Day, and also, Jerem, Stone Cold Sober Night at Miller Park for baseball. There you Free go. chocolate really? milk! <laughs> wow! It's also, by the way... Let's it's, go wild! It's World Sleep Day. So you know they're doing that. Let's do that. Hey. Oh, and football practice is in St. George today. Oh, heaven. They took it on the road. So how does BYU... Football celebrates spring break by working even harder. Yeah. Now they have to really sweat because they're down where it's warmer. Hey, speaking of um, green and uh, sweat, uh, how how are you you feeling, Spencer? I'm feeling better. (laughs) Don't you have a lot of green Green in your body? Yeah. And you can hear it a little bit still in my voice. It sounds productive to me. But progress is progress. That's right. You looked good, by the way. I saw. I didn't. I don't think I saw Jerem. I saw you, Spencer, wearing your stripes. So, for the show today, people should be expecting a little green, but stripes. Yes, I've got the mint green on. Jerem has the more traditional green, yes. and our set is currently lit green. Wow! To celebrate St. Patrick's Day, we have lots of cool toys at BYU Broadcast. Yeah, now you, including you two, Nerf guns. <laughs> Toys? Yeah. Or you well, got, I don't know if toys the right word no, for us. I no. was thinking more of like tools. Yeah, tools. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was uh, Speak for yourself. <laughs> it's so true. In fact, we were just talking about you guys in the hall and what tools you were. What a tool. Um, what a you guys tool. are tools, man. What, what, are, what are you sporting Summer today? Summer sales, brah. Jeremy, what are you wearing? Uh, I'm wearing a green shirt. It says, no luck needed, and it has a lucky charm, and it's a BYU logo on it. Ooh. I think my uncle gave me this shirt last year. He said, last year I remember you saying you didn't really have a green shirt. So here's a green shirt that I got at a BYU Notre Dame football game. Oh, wow. Oh. What a guy. So here we are. That's great. You yeah, guys, he's you, a great guy. So on, uh, on St. Patty's Day, you're, you're still going to do your show, right? But yes. What would you talk on about? On spring break. I mean, is there anything to talk about? Oh, man. It's a loaded weekend. Talk about good. You know? Talk about good. It's I, a loaded weekend. Shaline will like that I threw that in. Yeah. March Madness, obviously. Oh, and so yeah. we still have basketball on the mind. Mm-hmm. As we watch two West Coast Conference teams compete and compete well, they both won in Salt Lake City yesterday. But that just has us thinking about the jump that one of those teams, St. Mary's, made from the NIT to the NCAA tournament this year. And can BYU make a similar jump? Hmm. How has this season impacted your expectations for Cougar basketball in each of the next two years? Because, as we all know, expectations are sky high. The hype machine on top of hype machine. <laughs> that is a that is a lot of that's a lot of hype machine. Yes. Any um, I- anything else on the show? I don't know, Jeremy. Is there anything else? President on the Coach show? Steve Cleveland. What yep. changes need to happen for Brigham Young? He's he's a guy with a strong opinion and uh, he can address hard topics. Great analysis. Yeah. That's he's great. gonna he's gonna bring it. We'll also talk to Price Jarman of the men's volleyball team. Huge matchup for the Cougars tonight on BYU TV nine Eastern. Number three BYU versus number four Hawaii. 
Hawaii's won 32 sets in a row, Woo! 15 yeah! matches in a row. BYU's won 11 matches in a row. But Hawaii wow. stinks in Provo. But Hawaii's terrible in Provo. They haven't yeah. won here since 03. It's the altitude. But it's spring break. Could they do it I, today? Will that make a difference? And <laughs> no. will Stone Cold Sober Night make yeah. a difference? <laughs> That's a Are great you looking tease. for liquor? This is the wrong yeah. place. I want, Don't come some, I want to give some credit to Ben Bagley, yeah. uh, who just brought up this, who said, the irony of it being Stone Cold Sober Night at Miller Park oh! is amazing. That's so <laughs> true. Wrong oh! Miller. Wrong Miller. <laughs> well played, Ben. That's really good. Okay, guys, we'll have fun. Don't drink too much milk, you know. <laughs> okay. Just... We're, we'll drink milk on the show, by the way. Yeah. Oh, will you really? Beginning. Milk yeah. was yeah. a bad choice. Yeah. It does no, a milk body milk was a good, good. choice today. <laughs> milk, good. Okay, guys, have a great one. Knock them dead. That is, uh, they're having a fun time because it's Friday. It's St. Patty's Day. Time to pull out the milk. Time to pull out the chocolate milk. Nothing says party better than chocolate milk. They spare no expense at BYU Sports Nation. I know. They get everything. They even have green lights. I just have these bright spotlights. Just But they're shining right on your green shirt. So they might yeah. as well be green lights. They really ought to be. They, hey, they've given me the green light, if you know what I mean. Hey, speaking of green... Um, this has nothing to do with that. Police say a couple staged a murder with ketchup and texted photos. The Ohio couple staged the murder in a bathtub in which they poured ketchup all over the woman. And You okay? You okay? That was audio from the scene. Oh, okay. Okay. I was just trying to figure that out. Um, it's a lot of ketchup. He then sent pictures to his friend saying he didn't do it. Oh, no. Saying he did it. That's different. We, why would you? Why would you do this? Fake a murder and then say he did it. Hmm. Police officers showed up after getting calls Thursday night from three people. Police say were hysterical. That's when officers discovered that the scene is in the bathtub's couple or the couple's bathtub, and that it had all been staged. Police say Natalie Schlett and Micah Reisner are charged with inducing panic and misuse of a ketchup bottle. Absolutely. Um, inducing panic is a crime, which you need to remember because of your little jig you were doing in your green yoga pants. You may induce a panic. Did they mean in this story that they were in hysterics or that it was really, really, really funny? I think they meant they were in they they were in hysterics. Hmm. They weren't they didn't find it funny. I don't think it's funny when you misuse a ketchup bottle like that. I totally agree. I also don't find it funny when you dance the jig. Like... Anyway. Wow. Okay. So um, to wrap up the show, what better way to do it than a little hero story out of Florida? Uh, Haitian immigrant Dennis Esteban uh, remembers how isolated he felt when he first immigrated to the U.S. Now a popular senior at Boca Raton Community High School, Esteban is making sure no other student ever has to sit alone at lunchtime. He started a club called We Dine Together, whose members seek out wallflowers in the courtyard and strike up a conversation. The club has sparked hundreds of unlikely friendships since it formed last fall, and jocks and geeks now sit side by side. It's not a good feeling like you're uh, like you're by yourself, said Esteban, of his own experience. That's something I don't want anybody to go through. I don't ever want them to eat or be by themselves during lunch. So he's taking care of it. 
Dennis Esteban, my friend, you are the uh, hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. Taking care of people, that really is the responsibility of all of us. Remember, there really is just one race, the human race, that's us. And if we can't get along, then we are in a lot of trouble. We're here to learn, we're here to grow, and I uh, promise if we, uh, if we just follow our heart and take care of each other, things will turn out uh, in the end. It'll be good for us. That's the show. We'll be back again Monday to give you more information, ideas, tools to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier lives. Until then, make it a great weekend. Take care of those you love, and uh, we'll talk again Monday.